What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way, because respect needs to be given and needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions can have a platform, and we can work and talk together, and so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I, I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Reality Check Radio. It's Monday morning. Paul Brennan with you. And boy, have we got a show for you. It's all about post-election. We are going to be chewing on the election between now and 10, basically. And we've got so much going on. We won't be doing the international news this morning because we just haven't got time. That's a a one-off drop. Very shortly, we'll have our first political panel, and that will be with Muriel Newman, Morris Williamson, and Cam Slater. That will take us through to about 8 o'clock, and then we move to the Wahini Māori panel, with Dai Landy from Mana Wahini Corridor and Karina Shields, a.k.a. Auntie Hey Hey, joining Marie Buskey for a post-election chat. Then we'll hear Cameron Slater's interview with Winston Peters on election night. He was first to get a one-on-one with Winston, and we will hear that interview at about a quarter to nine. Then another political panel with Bob McCroskey from Family First, Roe Edge of Save Women's Sport Australasia, and RCR's Marty Gibson coming in with their post-election thoughts. We want to get a good feel for how people are this morning following the big day on Saturday. And of course, you can have your say. Drop us a line, 2057 on the text, email inbox at realitycheck.radio. A quick break. And then we will have our first political panel. Joining us will be Muriel Newman, Morris Williamson and Cam Slater right after this. Would you like to be a part of Reviving Honest Media? At RCR, we're on a mission to do just that. We report on critical, censored stories and hold those in positions of power to account. As Paul Brennan says, it's a good mission. Now there's an easy way to support RCR and at the same time receive some amazing benefits. Our Foundation Membership Club is here. As a member, you'll enjoy a host of exclusive benefits, including a daily bite-sized news digest, a backstage pass to RCR, and discounted merchandise. Find out all you need to know about our Foundation Membership now at www.realitycheck.radio. It's Monday morning. It is the Monday morning after the Saturday, which was eh, election day. So let's have... A post-election day panel. I want to welcome into our panel Muriel Newman. Morning, Muriel. Hi. Thanks for Good coming morning. on. 
Good morning. Morris Williamson is back. Hi, Morris. Good morning. And Cam Slater has returned as well from the north. Nice to have you guys in this morning. Good morning. How are we feeling? Who wants to start? Well, you're the boss. You tell us. Okay. Morris, how are you feeling this morning? Um, well, I wouldn't say ecstatic because ecstatic means you've got a guaranteed majority and you can get on and govern without having to worry. Uh, National Plus Act don't have that. They have that paper-thin one seat. And remember when specials come in, it is normally always National loses a seat. Greens often pick up one, but it could even be as much as two. There's 576,000 specials yet to come in. It's 20%, 20% of the vote. 20% of the vote to come in. Now, if they follow how the vote went on the day, then no problem, it doesn't make a change. But if they do what they've done in every other, I've tracked about five elections now, the left seem to have a better mechanism, especially for the overseas votes. The Greens have a good network of, I don't know whether it's Facebook or whatever, and they also seem to be able to get their people out around the country to do specials. So I think that National could even drop one uh, more. New Zealand First is likely to drop one more because oh, they were at the very bottom of the St. Larg table, which means their number is the lowest next to go. You might end up with a 59, um, you know, New Zealand, uh, National Plus Act or a 59 National Plus. Well, it, look, it's hard to say, but I don't believe the 61 that's sitting there at present for National Plus Act will necessarily survive this. No, I agree with that, Morris. Um, you know, traditionally that's been the case. I'm not sure that's going to be the case this time. There's a lot of people offshore who were prevented coming back to New Zealand who are bitter and angry, and who knows where those votes will go. They may go to National uh, I suspect they won't uh, because a lot of them see National as being complicit in all of the COVID stuff. Um, the angry vote may go to Winston, but this is why I think that we're going to have to wait till the 3rd of November till we get those numbers in before we can actually uh, start saying, well, we're gonna have, we've got to change a government. That's absolutely certain. What that I looks like is up in the air and you know everyone's going to roll their eyes and they're going to say oh god here we go again but you know that's the system we've got we've had two goes at selecting the electoral system so no use moaning about if we had stv or if we had this we we don't we've got mmp so that's what we're stuck with we do need to wait for the specials to come in that'll give us the lay of the land but I agree with Morris. I don't think I think it's rather presumptuous of Christopher Luxon to claim that hip, that National and Act are going to be able to form a government that's standalone. You know, we've still got uh, Port Waikato outstanding, so that's going to bring it to 122 uh, out of you know we've got 121 at the moment, so we're going to have 122. If the Maori Party pick up another seat, then there'll be an overhang, and you're looking at 123 and 61 out of 123 is not enough. Let, let me just give Christopher Luxon a bit of uh, spare room there. He did say on the current numbers, we don't need another partner. Mm, but I, mm. he understands very well that those numbers will move around a bit. Muriel, did the chips fall about where you thought they would? Well, I think we were really just hoping that there would be a change. And I think that the overwhelming feeling that most New Zealanders probably have is one of relief. You know, thank God the worst government in our history is gone. And um, and what comes next, you know, surely cannot be that bad. 
It was interesting, you know, I I was listening to somebody talking about, you know, the need for a four-year term of government. And I have thought right from the start of this last three years that, you know, this is the best argument against a four-year term of government (laughs) that you could ever have, unless there are other safeguards in there, you know, like um, the ability to, I don't know, have a recall for another election or, or something. But um, to think that we'd have another year of that would just be a disaster. So I'm uh, just really, really relieved um, that we've got a change and that we can look forward to a future of, you know, things like less tax and less regulation and more freedom and an end to all this blinking racial division. You know, I I think there's a lot of things that we're all hoping for. Are we going to get it, though? No, I mean, we're not. Really, much of a change at all, yes, really. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, uh, we're going to get temp- some. It's temporary, Morris, because the Maori Party has been emboldened with their racism and their separatism and their looter mentality. They've got an extra two seats at the moment, may end up with an extra three. They're seeing that as a vindication of, you know, clearly within the Maori seats, there's an element that, that their particular firebrand uh of separatism uh has has an audience luckily yeah, that, that would have some validity except that they're they, in opposition labor sure. lost labor lost those seats and labor lost a hell of a lot of other seats to the non-maori party yeah but so the labor party's like, like rust it's like rust they never sleep. they'll come back and they'll try it again this is why i think there's some merit in having uh, that the referendum uh, that ACT is proposing because that will we'll have a vote and that's the end of it. But um, if if we just don't do anything and just hope that we'll just, you know, it, keep the status quo in place and make some, some changes around the edges, Labor will come back and they'll shove that in our face again. And uh, that's got to be opposed vociferously. And if, it, if that's the referendum, you know, James Shaw is now scaremongering everybody by saying, There'll be violence if there's a um, if there's a referendum on co-governance. Well, really? Australia's—that's what he said. It's on, yeah. it's on the front page of stuff. So you know, Australia's just had a vote on that, and they didn't have any violence. So why would we have violence if we have a referendum here? Well, and- well let, let me give you a live case at the Auckland Council. We're currently considering whether we go to Maori wards, and I've said I won't vote for Maori wards ever but I would be prepared for it to go to a referendum. Now, the left on the council said no way can it ever go to referendum because it'll just bring all the racists out of their buildings and it'll be a ghastly debate. And that is how they view the general voting population. Now, you just can't do that. The general population vote, and if they vote yes, then you've got to accept it. And if they vote no, you live with that as well. And Albanese is suffering from that right at the moment. Paul, I want to pick one thing back up about Labour being the worst government ever. And it's in your own words. Uh, When Hipkins became the Prime Minister in March, he said, I've got to have at least two major bonfires where I'm going to chuck a whole lot of our existing policies on them because they've been failings and have gone wrong. And he, he chucked mountains of their existing policy on the bonfires. But then he kept a few, like he kept light rail down Dominion Road. Now, that's Michael Wood's electorate. The light rail was then a go on to the uh, Mangere uh, Airport, which is Michael Wood's company, because I understand he's got shares in the company. Right. And all I can tell you is 
How did that work for them? How did the people of Mount Roskill respond to, we're going to get light rail down Dominion Road to us? They rinsed him. He got chucked so badly out. So it's Labor's own, it's their own words. What about Chris Hipkins on on election night where he stood there and said, we've done some amazing things. We've built 13,000 homes. No one said, well, where's the other uh, 87,000, right, right, that you promised to build. It was like, well, let's, 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 let's just keep that quiet. It was like watching the special kid coming in last in the cross country at school and everyone cheering, and he's only and he's half an hour behind everybody else. That's what it was like watching. I mean, honestly, it was dreadful. I tell you, the interesting thing from the group, the um, coverage that we were watching was the most exciting bit was the fact that Chris Hipkins thanked Tony. And yeah, who's Tony? Said, who's, who's Tony? Tony? Yeah. That's his new partner, of course, and um, and that, that got everyone really excited. Um, did, you did, did have Tony. to feel sorry. You know, I, I know that we all think he's done a terrible job, but I think you do have to feel sorry um, for somebody who's put their heart and soul for, into something. I don't. Something. No, I, don't. No, I oh, know you don't. Go away, don't disappear, yeah. don't come back. Let's sorry. have a look at some of the metrics, right? And the things that Christopher Hip- Chris Hipkins was responsible for. So we've got rampant, out of control crime. Who was the police minister for most of the six years? Christopher Hip- Hipkins. We've got an education. No, he wasn't police minister for most of the years. No, no, no. He was police minister though. Only for a year. Recently, of, right? only for a year of it. Yeah. We're we're apportioning blame. Don't be fair, Morris. <laughs> po- right. po- to William, out the, as bad as we can. We, we, we're, we're kicking the corpse while it's down, which is which is traditional. If you look at education, he was an education minister for a good chunk, and look well, at the look at the hopeless. stats in there. Hopeless there. He was the COVID minister, and so he was Jacinda Ardern's little helper, uh, and he dressed up in the jackboots just as much as she did, and stomped all over our rights. So, you know, if they get cleaned out in the way they have, good job. Yeah. They wouldn't exempt the kids. Okay. No. No, that's right. I, I, I want to give I want to give you a little true story. Uh, because I've got a computer programming background and I write software. When I was in the States and I saw how they were running MIQ and I knew I was going to face it, although uh, a, a diplomat would be given a space, as it turned out, we were given spaces. But I wanted to get kids in that home as well. I had a look at this. The first one was just random. My wife sat on the iPad all day, keeping pressing refresh, refresh to see if we could get an MIQ. And she sat at work with her computer sitting there and her iPad sitting there and just keeping. Re- so there were millions of man hours wasted. Then we went to this godforsaken lottery, which was the most bizarre. You could be coming into it for the first time ever, wanting to go to Fiji for a week's holiday, and you might win. But a family living in Britain for nine months who had tried every lottery card. So I wrote a program, which which is just a basic queuing process. And you have a database and people get put into the database. And then they gradually bubble to the top based on how long they've been in. And you can put some embellishments. For example, I thought those that were overseas when COVID hit. Uh, should get twice as many points as those that were here wanting to leave and then come back so that we were going to get Kiwis getting back home and that you could put extra big bu- uh, bucket of points for someone who's got a, a sick relative. And you would know then because you'd better look at how long the wait queue was, how many days before my points get to that. 
I'll be ready to come home in three weeks from now. It would be, yeah, and you see it on the screen, it would be transparent, it would be free. So I wrote the software, I got the database up, I, I spent some time with Sir Ian Taylor uh, from Animation Research and Dunedin talking about how it would work. And then I wrote off with a sample copy and prepared to go to Wellington to both Jacinda Ardern, to Chris Hipkins, and to Grant Robertson. And I said, look, this would be a, a, a saviour for you in the MIQ because everyone would know they were taking their place along with everybody else and uh, waiting their turn and seeing when time came up. And you wouldn't have to even go back to the screen for a few weeks and then you say, I know we'll be up in three weeks from tomorrow, likely to be our slot coming through. They just wrote back with the most unbelievable official bureaucrat. Uh, you know, we don't believe there is a better way of doing it and we don't believe that your system. And then Hipkins badmouthed publicly, said, oh, the trouble with Morris Williamson's system is it's a points-based system. And I can tell you in immigration, to get all the points sorted out for a person can take up to a year. So that's why they don't work. Well, there was only one point in my system, and that is the date you joined. And that's done automatically when you log in and put your first application and you know more points to collect with immigration you've got to collect their police status and their employment status and the education from various institutions so i wrote back and i said that's just offensive you said oh it's a point system it would work straight away and ian taylor and then the uh, guy from the it section at auckland university came out and said what williamson's proposing makes common sense and should be and they just chucked it out, wouldn't even look at it. I said, you can have a copy of the software free and you can put whatever <laughs> embellishments you like. Now, that's how they treated the public. We you don't see, that's cruel. How can how can you be that deliberately cruel? Yeah. And, and, and what did Hipkins say on Thursday before the election? Oh, you know, um, if I had my time again, I would have done MIQ differently. Yeah. And, you know, talk about gaslighting us all. And that pissed me off so much because I put it to him and he just said no. See, this is that, that's a classic. And remember, no one was forced, of, Cam. Remember, no one was forced as well. He said that. <laughs> that's right. I mean, this is the thing, right? The, the, these guys had this undying belief that their way was the only way they know best. to do anything. They know best. We, and they'd look down their nose at absolutely everything. Is that bu bureaucracy capture, though, at work there? Is it? Or, or I just think they're capture. incompetent. <laughs> No, no, I think in the case of the, the computer system that I was showing them that could be up and running within a week, would be a login on the internet, and everyone that was wanting to get MIQ spot would do it. And as it was, we had a DJ given three return entries into the country. We had the Bangladesh cricket team get two full slots in here. And, and the Wiggles. And the Wiggles. And, and the Wiggles, <laughs> but there's lots more. A British comedian, uh, what's his name, came in twice. Uh, and yet there were poor buggers out there. I, I had them in the States coming to me and saying, you know, well, how the hell do we get home? Well, they're running out of money everywhere. Oh, oh. Well, of course, and then the, what really got up my nose, the lady who was running it at, at MB, she called me up and she said, I don't know why you're making such a fuss. There's some slots available tomorrow. And I went and had a look and there was. They'd come <laughs> up that day. They were free tomorrow. You imagine if you're working with a wife and kids in London and a flat and a car and you suddenly get told you could leave tomorrow. <laughs> you just can't do that. You know, you've got to get rid of the flat, you've got to sell the car, you've got to get the furniture moved or whatever uh, and leave your job or skip. No it, it, it's a commissar mentality. Yeah. I mean, that's what it really is. It's a whole bunch of commissars. Yep. Telling telling us how to live our lives, and we've just got rid of them. And, and it was unnecessary, as it and turns out. And I hope out, it's for a good long time. It, it turned out it 
really didn't make too much of a difference anyway. But anyway, mm. okay. So what a um, Cam, you were at uh, Russell um, with the New Zealand First People. Yeah. What was that like last night? Because there would have been a lot of expectation. How did that go? Yeah, it was pretty good at the start. Uh, then the the you know those big numbers came in from the early voting, and you know looked like New Zealand First was just a bit over five percent. But it progressively got better through the night. Um, they're fairly philosophical about it. They they you know it was funny because you know at one stage they had eight MPs, then it went down to seven, then it went back up to eight, and it's fairly locked in at eight now. Um, so, you know, they were sitting there thinking, you know, I spoke to Tanya Ankovic. Um, she was, she's a new MP uh, at at number eight on the list. Um, I spoke to Shane Jones. I spoke to Winston. Uh, I went back to Winston's place afterwards just to, to see what his thinking was at. And he was really relaxed about everything. You know, he turned off his phones. He said, I'm not taking any phone calls. Um, they were sitting there watching the the uh, the numbers roll roll in uh, right till about you know um, half past twelve one o'clock in the morning, and um, he seemed fairly satisfied that they were back. Um, he said to me uh, in my interview, which I'm not sure that's up yet, but he said to me that whether they're in government or not in government, he will prosecute an inquiry into the COVID stuff uh, come what may. He he's absolutely adamant that that has to be done. And he said, if I'm not in government, well, I'll just use parliamentary question time and I'll just answer every time we hit question time, it'll be questions about that and the ministers will have to answer. And those ministers are going to have to go and get the information out of the archives from the Labour time to get all of that. But he says he's going to do it. And I believe him. There was a real steel in his uh, in his voice when he said that. And, of course, reluctantly, those ministers will answer all of those questions with all the <laughs> material that they can find. You know, you know if, I was like, if I was like that, if I was like that. Excuse me, Mr. Speaker, I didn't even ask that. No, but I think you should also know. That's right, exactly. <laughs> but, but, I mean, if I was Chris Luxon, I'd sit there and think, right, how can we use Winston to destroy the Labour Party? And giving him an inquiry into that would allow him, because imagine that, you have an inquiry and you start calling in the ministers, you start calling in Bloomfield, you start calling in all the all the various, you call in the media into it as well. Why did you do this? Did you have any evidence of this? Can you imagine how damaging that would be to the Labour Party if you did that for months and months and months on end? And as the truth came out, their support would drop and drop and drop. and it would But I think you'll them. find that as a result of this election result, they'll be pretty much wiped out, what, do you reckon, two two terms before they're back? Um, oh, no, I think they've got a three-term on them. I think yeah. you won't see them back in nine. The, three, the three knives term- will be out between them all. Yeah. Well, they've, they've lost so much of their whole sort of core of what they were and, and there's nothing. I mean, how do they come back? They're going to be forced to almost retreat to the hardline left to try and mm. pick up some remnants. What do you mean uh, retreat to it? They're already there. No, they're nowhere near as what they. I mean, the wealth tax and the, the capital gains tax is where they'll head for. Um, and that, oh, that'll that, be successful. <laughs> yeah, it'll be about as successful as light rail down Dominion Road. <laughs> Paul, Paul, you mean, you know, we were talking earlier about the Maori seats and one observation that we've had is that 
the Maori seats are now being radicalised, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. worse than anything that we've ever seen in New Zealand's history. And if you think back over the last three years in particular, you know, the what's gone on with co-governance, the fact that it was a secret agenda, um, the fact that it was hidden as much as possible so most people had no idea what was going on until, you know, right at the end when it stared them in the face, I think that you could call it a coup. You know, a lot of people have named it a tribal coup. And my thinking is that New Zealand has to protect democracy. I mean, you've got the Labour, one of the co-leaders of the Māori Party saying they don't believe in democracy. Presumably that is going to be the ethic of the party itself. It's stronger now. And I think that if we don't get rid of the Māori seats, if we don't have a referendum on the Māori seats in this term of parliament, I think the country will be in dire straits in the future. It's a real threat to our democracy. And we've been thinking that, you know, we wonder whether, in fact, Morris, you know, given that local body elections are next year, and this should apply to local body seats as well, you know, a referendum a year out from the local body election would actually make sense. And we do it for the whole country, get rid of the Maori seats or keep the Maori seats, what do you reckon, and have a nationwide referendum. I'm with you 100%. What what, what I don't like about the the Maori issue in particular is it's just so one-sided. And let me give you an example. Maori Party put up on their website that Maori genes were superior. Yes. Okay. Their genetics were superior to that of other races. Okay. You imagine if we put up on my website that white genes are superior to anybody. Mm. You'd be run out of town and rightly so. Yeah. But they can say it and no one touches them. Marima Davidson can come on TV and say, I'll tell you who causes, now remember these words, all the violence in the world, not 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 some of it or main, all the violence in the world, it's white cis males. And then I watch TV week after week of a guy in Kaikaui murdering the old lady and he was a Maori and then this guy was a Maori and then this guy was, and this guy's off to jail and he's a Maori name. And I thought, how did she get away with that? How does anyone not say to her, that is the most racist thing going, but you're well, too scared to say then, it? Then you come back to the media, the mainstream Correct. media, and the terrible job they've done over the last three years in particular, probably over the last six years, but it's been so obvious in these last three years. Shocking. It, it could be as equally dangerous having that referendum or, or having people think about making that choice. That, that's no, um, it's a tough no, thing to I, weigh I up, isn't common it? Common sense prevails. I think Australia's just showing us that yesterday. But are we more ginned up than they are? No. In race tension. Well, I think I think the vast bulk of New Zealanders, the people that I meet and know, and so on, are what I would call incredibly practical about race and that we can live together and no one should have special rights, shouldn't be special treatment for one group over another. Winston made a great comment in one of the debates. If he went to an ED department and he was sitting there waiting next to a very poor white lady from Clendon in South Auckland, why should he get priority? Because he's a Maori. And that's what people don't like. They do not like the special treatment or your prioritised. I understand why you want to target assistance to people at the bottom end of the socioeconomic, but that should be if they're white, 
Asian. Ba- basis of, of need, not right. race. I mean, right. this is the thing. Why should we all be categorized on the basis of our blinking race? Correct. It is so ridiculous. But this is not just happening. Very here. offensive. This is happening what? all over. This 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 race issue is not just New Zealand. It's a kind of um, r- repeated pattern in other places too. Yeah, so but the thing is, we've got a particular problem in that we've now got a party in parliament that wants to undermine democracy itself. They got there by democracy. They want to undermine it. And we've got to say, as a public, we've got to say we can't have that. You know, we've got to strengthen democracy, not undermine it. And if these Maori seats, which should have gone years and years ago, probably 100 years ago, and that's what the Royal Commission on the Electoral System said, if you bring in MMP, you must get rid of the Maori seats, otherwise you'll get an over-representation in Parliament. I think this new Parliament's got, what is it, 25% Maori? And, you know, there's 17... let, let, Let me pick you up on that. What is a Maori? Well, this is the problem. It's ridiculous. Does David Seymour, <laughs> does David Seymour qualify for special treatment at the ED department that I don't get? Well, don't he calls Christa. himself a Maori. Well, <laughs> even if you, you might feel like one, and you're no, not. No, but one, pl- please, please listen. They mm. published statistics the other day about sixty-eight percent of Maori don't pass NCEA two. How do they know that? What is a Maori? Mm-hmm. It's I mean, probably self-identification. That's a good point. It's a good it'll, point. Be self-identif- a it'll be self-identification the same as what is a woman. Well, I think it's already for some is, yeah. But that, self-identification. that's ridiculous. There are some people, I think Debbie Narewa Packer was on, uh, you know, a bit of a This Is Your Life, and her mum, I think, was Irish, and her father was half something Scottish, and, and then could be another half back. So Debbie Narewa Packer's got a lot more white genes flowing through her than she has Maori, but she identifies but, as but, I am Maori. And but they're weaker, they're weaker genes, Morris. No, 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 <laughs> but I tell you, my wife had a great line for this. She said, you know what? If there is any sort of a compensation to Maori that one day we've got to do the right thing and make some compensation, you've got to be very careful about this because if you're more than 50% non-Maori, what you're paying out will be a lot less than you're getting back by way of the settlement <laughs> if it's all done on a pro-rate basis. So I just, I'm, and I'm not being stupid here. I still cannot get a what is a Maori. I'd love to know. It's not 50 because you say that and you get told, oh, that's just racist. Okay, it's not 50%. Is it 20? It is self-identification. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty well that. So are there, is there the will to do what Muriel's suggesting? No, Christopher Luxon won't do that. Winston would. Winston would in a heartbeat. Yeah. And you'd get Shane Jones and Casey Costello and, to, to run it. Is that David, something that um, Christopher Luxon could usefully use, use Winston David for? David Seymour says act will, so... Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that sometimes in politics and in parliament, things happen that obviously leading parties have got to respond to and prime ministers have to respond to. And I think it's often very helpful to have smaller parties that can take a lead on some of these things. I mean, you look back to 2008 when John Key had the Maori Party in Parliament with him, and he gave them that uh, constitutional review. And, you know, that was, they were trying to get the treaty into into a new constitution. I mean, that would have been a blinking disaster for New Zealand. But nevertheless, um, he agreed to it. And so sometimes, you know, um, prime ministers are forced into 
taking a um, allowing smaller parties to take a lead on on some of these tough issues. So, so let me give was, you let me give John... you another live case of what John Key agreed with that Maori Party. We Andrew. were putting the, the Auckland Council legislation through in 2010 to form the new super city, and Rodney Hyde did not want to have anything that was related to Maori. It was just to be for the whole city and so on. And in the end, Peter Sharples and others said, look, you're going to get our vote. You're going to have to make sure that an independent Maori statutory board is formed, which was in the legislation in the end and went through parliament. And now on my committee, I have two IMSB members. Every time I've taken votes, I've often not only just won it with regards to the normal, and then I lose it because the IMSB. So they are unelected. You You don't even know who they are. Mm. And somehow they've got just as much power as an elected councillor, and that's in the legislation giving them that power. And I just think that is so wrong. Don't forget too to that go. John Key, John Key, uh, put us into Undrip, mm. a, a sop to the Maori Party, which is which then spat out uh, Te Purpura mm. and caused all the problems that we've had for the last four years, while they have systematically implemented almost every recommendation of Hei Puapua. Mm. And that's the problem because Hei Puapua um, was, or sorry, UNDRIP was meant to be just symbolic. <laughs> Do you know why John Keith? <laughs> but I you get activist this. groups in there and they change anything into something that's yep. activist and, and quite divisive and bad for the country. I asked John Key why he signed that, and he says, because there's no Indigenous people in New Zealand, so we can sign it. And I said, are you that <laughs> stupid? Okay. <laughs> That's what Winston said. Winston no, was right. But no one's John, John Key, see, the thing is, people like John Key want to make a splash, and they want to get their name in headlights, and they want to do all of those sorts of things. But they don't actually think of the consequences on some of the actions that they go through, and they haven't worked out the politics of it. Well, I'd love any of your listeners uh, to this program to try to get in touch with me and tell me what is a Maori, because I still can't work it out. Incoming as we speak, Maori. The emails and the texts are coming in right now. (laughs) They publish statistics. They publish statistics of this many Maori don't have this or Maori. And I keep saying, what what is that? Is that 15% Maori blood? Is it 10% Maori blood? You, you've got people like, I think, Joe Luxton, an MP from the South Island. I've heard her speak and spoke. I didn't have any idea that she was Maori, but she's now found in her whakapapa way back there was Maoridom, and she has now absolutely got the bone round the neck and going for it. And I think, what is this? This is just... Well, that's an ego thing. Yeah, isn't no, it? That's I'll just tell you a, what it establishing is. a point of difference. And Sure, really. but, but I think the problem we've got is that we don't have a true fourth estate in New Zealand. You know, while we talk about... The, the problem with Maori seats or co-governance or the uh, overt racism of the Maori party, that's all fine and dandy, but no one ever calls them out in the media. No, no one no. ever says anything. So we actually have a media problem, and that's another reason why Chris DeValuxen should pick up the phone and give Winston Peters a call. Have How do you his... think the media, that's a good question, how do you think the media is going to treat now this new Well, I'll tell you, here's a good example. Government. Here's a good example, right? This is what Tover O'Brien said yes uh, on election night, but trying saying straight-faced, hand on Bible, or sworn on the grave of a beloved dearly departed that you saw this coming and the country would collectively call BS, right? So there's the problem right there. 
someone who has been a political correspondent in the in the press gallery is sitting there saying, "Oh, we how did this happen? We never saw this happening." Come on. Well, hello. More than half the population in New Zealand saw it coming. How could you not see this coming? Right. So this is the problem. And then if you have a look at Thomas Cranmer's uh, yes, very account, very he's just dropped a whole lot of documents that shows the very deliberate policy of the Labour government to shovel millions of dollars, not just from the um, the Public Interest Journalism Fund. But COVID advertising, right? But Yeah, advertising, government department advertising. And if Christopher Luxon was smart, what he'd do is call the heads of departments in uh, that are, and and ask for a line by line item of how much money they're pouring into the media company, and that would have been a quid pro quo, sure. And then stop it right now and put it on hold for at least six months to go under, wa- and then watch them tip over, and <laughs> then we'll, that solves the problem with the media. Do you know the uh, Public Interest Journalism Fund carries on till January twenty twenty six? Yep. They uh, said that, you know, the last round of funding was back in June, I think it was, and that the fund after that was, you know, closed down. And a lot of people thought that meant the money stopped, but it doesn't. It goes went right through the election campaign and it goes right through to January 2026. And remember that it's tied to requirements like, you know, the media who take the fund have to promote the treaty partnership agenda. Yep. So they're not allowed to investigate it or interrogate it or anything else. Otherwise, there's clawbacks for their funding. Yep. And uh, I think it's shocking. And I actually think there should be an inquiry into the media um, over the election campaign, because I, I just don't think that the party's got a fair deal. They did not. Winston hardly got mentioned most of the time. Well, he only got mentioned in the last three weeks when the ACT Party ran their billboards and the Labour Party ran their attack ads and then Chris Bishop stupidly stood there and said we might have another election and I understand from good uh, National Party sources and I'm pretty sure Morris will concur with this, Luxon was blindsided by that. He didn't even know it was coming and was livid when it was said. Mm. Mm. Just um, talking about campaigns, I really have to say that uh, Winston's campaign was fantastic. You know, from the moment he appeared on his horse, <laughs> um, I think he did a, a wonderful job. And who, who um, were the brains behind that? Well, campaign? I, I, I asked him that last night. I said, "Look, Winston, who came up with the horse idea?" And he said, "I did." I said, "Oh, come <laughs> yes. on!" I said, "Come on!" He says, "No." I was sitting there. And I think. I thought to myself, I need to show that I, I can, you know, I'm, I've got it still and I nothing can do that by jumping on the back of a horse. And I said, yeah, but you missed a trick there, Winston. He says, what's that? And I said, um, well, I, I would have liked to have seen you do a Zorro thing where you pull the horse up and it goes up on its hind <laughs> legs and, you you know, you crack the whip and then you ride off. And he says, oh. And, and, then every, someone. And, and then everyone would have said I was riding off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and what about the poem? Yeah, I didn't ask him about that one. Yeah. Um, what about the other um, campaigns? I, I didn't see too much of them because I didn't watch mainstream media. Was there anything Im- impressive about the other parties' campaigns that stood out that anyone well, noticed? I- 
I'll go with the opposite of impressive. I'll go with depressive. Mm. And that is the latest trend for nobody to ever answer a question. All right. It doesn't matter what you're asked. You'll give this big round arm swing and a big word salad. And uh, at the end of the day, the overall arching principles with regards to a helicopter view of the, and 10 minutes later, the answer's finished and you have no bloody idea. Was it a yes or a no? And that's just become endemic throughout the place. You know, why would you answer a question when you might get caught on it? Because then you have to justify it. Uh, and I'll give you an example for Christopher Luxon, but it's not its not just him. It was the whole lot of them. But he was asked by uh, Ryan Bridge, your policy to index benefits to the CPI rather than to wage growth is estimated to uh, reduce the amount of spending in the welfare system by $2 billion. Is that right? And he said, uh, look, with regards to what the work we're doing with the ghost, the overall, and, and, the, and, and Brian Bridge said, no, I'm asking you, is it a $2 billion reduction? And he once again, three times. And then he said, are you just not going to answer the question? Now, here's a really good principle. If you're going to work on a bright, shiny policy and you think it's got real benefits to the country and it's going to do something spectacularly good, and you put it out for sale, be prepared to stand behind it and sell it and say, yes, we are, because we don't think people who are living on a benefit should be getting the rewards of the people in the workforce. And by the way, this will provide an incentive for them to migrate out of the welfare state and into the workforce. Bang. That sounded fine. <laughs> Can't say that. Because it could I would have been, that. Sue Bradford might get upset at that. So we'll, and it's Too just bad. across the board. No, no, I'm not getting it, Chris Luxon. I'm getting it every one yeah, of them. I think you're right. It is across the board. They're, they're yeah. scared, witless of taking a position on anything because it just it could offend, it could cause a problem. So I will just, you know, the well, word. be twisted by the media, Morris, is what would happen. It'd be. Yeah, be twisted, but and a, been... a component of it will be reported out of context, and Correct. that will be embellished. And suddenly, yourself. it's this horrible thing that's happening. And how but, dare they? Yeah, but you know. we've been we've been conditioned with it. With you know, Jacinda Ardern, if you ever got a transcript of what she actually said answering questions, mm. there wasn't any there wasn't any uh, joined up thinking in any of it. It was just exactly what Morris says, word salad. And we all got used we've all got used to it. The media love it. Uh and it doesn't it it doesn't add anything. I mean, the last debate was an unedifying spectacle oh, that, so. that I can never get that hour back. And you know, I had to do it, Paul, because you know, we were reviewing it. So we we had to have someone here. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So so you know, it, literally these days with these debates. It's all about the host of the debate, it, not about what the ideas are or a contest of ideas. Well, it's more like a game have. show, would it be fair to say? More like yeah. a game show. Well, I'd rather poke pins in my eyes than, than okay, watch, but, watch that nonsense. Let, let me just pick back up on the one example I gave. That's the, the indexing benefits to CPI rather than wage growth. And as I said, if you could put that policy together, it got portrayed in the media as these guys are going to be mean to beneficiaries and they're just doing it to save money and that's how bad it is. The exact opposite is true. It is to drive an incentive into place to get off the benefit and move into the workforce and do better for yourself. And if you portray it like that, it's got a real positive 
reason for doing it. That's your reason. That's why you're doing it. But no one's prepared to fight that fight and say why we're doing it. And so it got the media kept saying, oh, well, you know, they, they're beneficiary bashing and they hate beneficiaries and so on. No, quite the opposite. This is a really important policy. But I seem to be able to sell it better than they did, and it was their policy. Yeah, but well, I if you if you're the, out there doing it, it would have been better. <laughs> yeah, I think the the problem was though the media. I mean, you know, the media were following um, Chris Hipkins, weren't they? And the Labour Party campaign was all about trying to undermine the alternative government. I mean, they had no record to actually campaign on. And they figured that if they could just make the potential government look hopeless or Coalition of chaos. chaotic or whatever, then yep. they'd win by default. And the media followed along like a bloody pack of chooks. You know, it was, okay. uh, I just think it was appalling. And, um, you know, you asked about campaigns. It, it occurred to me that in retrospect, David Seymour's campaign of putting his policy out right at the beginning of the year when everybody had time to sort of think, you know, because in an election campaign, there's so much going on, you don't really have time to focus. And what David did was he signaled very early on that they had an alternative plan for the country. And I think he got a lot of support back then, and those people stayed with him, which was really interesting that they really didn't shift much at all last night from the early uh, vote. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of the small parties and there were those little freedom parties, I think that there was anticipation that they might have been um, cumulatively a bit more supported than they were in the end. What happened there? Well, I'll, I'll go first on that one. The number of new parties and we can make this and we can do this is just legendary and the result is just always such a, and they go out campaigning and people will meet them on the street and say, oh, well, good on you, good luck, and so on. They take that as someone's going to vote for them. It's not. Uh, people don't want to be rude or nasty, or most people don't. And even if you take something like Christ Christianity, you got Graham Lee left the National Party and he got teamed up with the Reverend Graham Capel and they formed this Christian party. And you would expect that Christians, I'm not one, but if you'd expect that, they could get 5% and come close. And so that's your problem, that to get over that threshold or to get any sort of numbers. And every one of the little itches and scratches out there or whether he didn't like this or I'm standing for this or I believe in the following, it's just a it's just a waste of time. And you know, Brian Tamaki and his wife thought they were going to do exceedingly well. You, they, I could have, um, well, I did tell people before that we'd be lucky to break the one percent or half a percent or whatever. I mean, I think... and, and then there's the media darlings as well. So the media, for some reason, love top oh. the opportunities mm -hmm. party. They got two percent, mm -hmm. right? You know, uh, we we heard Rafe's r whatever his name is, it's impossible to say, Monday. claiming he was going to win Ireland. Well, he didn't. Didn't even get close. Uh, we had uh, Matt King saying that he was going to win uh, Northland despite four polls saying he was going to come fourth. Guess where he came? Fourth. right? Our own poll showed that uh, he did that. If you look at the so-called freedom parties, NZ Loyal, 26,141 votes. That's quite significantly short of the 2 million votes that uh, Liz <laughs> was claiming. In fact, she said that they could win and get the 5% if 
everyone in Southland voted for NZ Loyal, right? Well, well, there's 105 electors in 105,000 electors in Southland, and the five percent mark is about 144,000. So she didn't even know the basics of getting that right. But if you add up the NZ Loyal, uh, 1.15 percent. Uh, you look at Freedoms NZ, which was the umbrella party for the Outdoors and Freedom Party, Freedoms NZ, Vision New Zealand, 0.31 of a percent. Democracy New Zealand, 0.24. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if those people who voted for those parties had voted for New Zealand first, Winston Peters would be on 9%. Mm. And they'd have, a, they'd have 12 MPs. But Paula, I think that that is the point. You know, the I mean, I, a lot of people ask you, you know, how my how do you vote? You know, what what's the way to do it if you want to support a small party? And what I said to everybody was, look, support them till the very last minute. But when you go into the voting booth, if you know they're not going to make it, in other words, they're going to be under the five percent, which is highly likely then go to your plan B and give your party vote to a party that actually will make it into parliament. And so you will actually have an influence on the shape of our parliament. And I think a lot of people did that at the last minute. But yes, the delusion that goes on with small parties, I mean, you know, it's just legendary, isn't it? And, And it's quite sad because they buoy themselves up and then on election night, I think they get very disappointed, but they should expect it. You take the new Conservatives, right, the rump of nearly 4% that Colin Craig's Conservatives got back in, I can't even remember now when it was, but back Mm. then. 2014, I think. 2014, they approached um, New Zealand first and said, we'll merge the party and we've got the board to sign up for it and it's all good and we're going to, you know, get. but what we want is we want number two on the list. Well, I was told... I was told by the person, several of the people that they spoke to to make this happen, and New Zealand First just laughed at them and said, you're demanding number two on the list. You're not going to get anywhere. You haven't got enough. There's not enough votes there. And they said, well, no, no, we, you know, we're really well known. And one of the advisors to New Zealand First told them, well, I don't know who you are. And, uh, and and where they come, New Conservatives, 3,587 votes, 0.15%. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was the leader, Helen Droughton, saying, I want to be number two on the New Zealand First List, displacing Shane Jones with no credibility at all. It, 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 I've I described it as these people live on hopium. It's extremely addictive. Um, and what happens, though, is they lose, and what they're now suffering from is copium. Mm. Can, can I just flick back to Ireland for a minute? What so annoyed me was that the media kept saying, Raf Manji's in a really yeah. good chance here. He's got a chance to win this. I was, got a, I was getting a copy of the internal polling there. He was so far off in every one of the internal polls that he actually had to break silence in the last fortnight and say, Nationals should do a deal and let me take the drop their candidate out, mm. and I could then get over the, and then bring a whole lot of top, uh, you know, people with me. And I thought, how how can it be both? He's so far ahead and he's going to win this, but I need a deal to get me there because I'm so far behind. And it was just, I, it's just, how do you play to that? Because so, so the media sort of chose him, right? Yeah. 
And the majority, majority 7,000. Mm. Look, 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 let me tell you about comments I've had from the media over the 40 years that I've been around. They hate an election where there's a guaranteed outcome in advance. You know, there's a big wave coming and like in 1990, National just had to show up on the day and was going to bolt home. And the, the media hate that because they don't get eyeballs on screens or eyeballs on column inches in the paper. They love, they love the tension of a close, could be, who knows, keep watching, it's nearly there. And so what they've got to do is find ways of balancing up the, oh, that looked like they're going to bolt. National was always going to just take Ireland back without even thinking about it. Oh, we're going to make out it's close. Oh, we're getting down to the wire. Rafe Manchie's putting in another big berth. You go, you guys are just off a planet here. It was never going to happen. And any of the reporters that reported that way should be taken off television. They need to yeah. they need to get Daryl Kerrigan to give them a call and tell them that he's dreaming. Mm. Hey, um, we're coming up uh, to time pretty well. Um, Morris, you, you're the numbers guy. You've been sort of running algorithms and all of that. You've told us about that. Um, may, maybe um, you can sort of lead off on this, but are there any sort of outlying s- statistical things that have caught your eye um, just in the result of this? that uh, make you go, oh. oh well, what, what caught my eye last night was how well National did in the constituencies. The party vote was pretty much, because it's a big blob of the whole country. There's only one electorate for the party vote, and that's called New Zealand. But in the constituencies, you get these unique characteristics based on the personality of the person who's currently the MP and whether they've done a good job. When Michael Wood stood against me uh, in Pakaranga, I whooped his ass even though Labor won the party vote, okay? And that's because I built up a bit of a reputation as a hard-working local MP, even though Labor won the party vote comfortably. And I beat him twice, by the way, not just the once. I was just about to say that, Morris. You beat him twice. And then Jamie yeah. Lee Ross so, beat him as well. Yeah. So that's the that's the issue with regards to uh, the, the, this electorate last night. When I saw those numbers coming in, like Tiatatu and New Lynn and... Banks Peninsula, and I'm going. You, this is just this is not right. They've got some mixed up in the computer, and they'll fix it up soon. But that was what was unique, and that, of course, that's what's caused National to have almost no one off their list. They're going to get their sitting members in the Parliament back: uh, Nicola Willis, Paul Goldsmith, Melissa Lee, Jerry Brownlee. But that's basically it. That's what they're going to. They're going to get not one bit of new blood in, and nor is Labor, by the way. But National had a whole lot of new, bright, shiny objects down their party list, but they just did so well in the constituencies. They blitzed the constituents. There's some key numbers that I found interesting. Uh, everyone talks about um, how th- there was a low turnout. I'm not seeing that. In 2020, uh, it was an 82% turnout, 2.9 million votes. Labor got... Uh, 1.4 million of those. In this election, we're currently sitting at 2.2 million votes. Uh, there's about five to 600,000 special votes. So we're going to be, you know, it's only going to be slightly down on 2020. But Labor's vote is less than half what they had in 2020. Yeah. And that's the story of the election right there. 
Yeah. Um, what's interesting though is the party vote for national in uh, in 2020 was 738,000, and currently it's sitting at 878,000. Of course, that doesn't include the specials. Uh, and and you know I think you'll see a 35 percent between 35 and 40 on the specials come in for them, which is going to boost them up again. But it's still nowhere near uh, the numbers that Labor had to to win a majority, and and that's what I find staggering, and 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 I'll almost guarantee that the board of the National Party and the senior management and Chris Bishop and Joe DeJou are all slapping each other on the back, going, well done, we've won, and da-da-da-da. And because they've won, they won't have the necessary rigour to have an election debrief of the campaign and work out how they could have done better. Because one thing I know about the National Party is that they love the status quo. So when they have their, uh, their conference next year, the existing board members that are on there will be re-elected because we won an election, and we can't really t- tip somebody off the board if we've won an election. That's what they do. And then the next year, maybe someone will you know, retire, and in the third year, they'll go, oh, it's election year, we can't have any changes because they don't like making changes. And when they win, they fail to analyse where they could have done better, and I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Just um, one thing about um, the changing vote for national. It was very interesting because if you go back to 2017, of course, they won the most seats in the parliament. And then in 2020, it was the landslide to Labour. And there was all this talk about how they lost 300,000 votes. And was it four? Yeah, 428,000. Right, okay. And so this time around, it's sort of like, well, did they get them all back? But of course, um, one of the matters is that ACT back in 2017 got 0.5% of the vote. They got like 23,000 seats, Uh, sorry, 23,000 votes. They got 202,000. this time, yeah. So um, when you combine National and ACT, I think they've made back up those numbers, haven't they, and more? Yeah. yeah, and of course, New Zealand First got a big chunk, so they're back That's in as right. well. Yeah, yeah. one hundred and forty-five thousand currently. Mm. You know. Yeah. Okay, so uh, to wrap up, um, any final comments? And what are we going to see? Do you think how's it going to shake out? Those special votes accounted. Um, anyone want to? It, uh, I think, I, I think the sixty-one is going to drop to sixty, maybe fifty-nine. That way, Christopher Luxon will have to. Uh, be getting some sort of an arrangement. I don't know quite what that will look like with New Zealand First to guarantee stability. Otherwise, you have dreadful instability. What are the options in creating quickly a deal like that? Well, it could be anything from just a confidence and supply arrangement, or it could be uh, a ministerial post outside of Cabinet where he's given something that he's really good at, like foreign affairs. Would they do that? Would they give that to him? That keeps him out of the country they, a bit. They could it? give Casey Costello or Shane Jones something to do with, you know, um, sorting out the Maori issue with Maori affairs and a couple of other things around co-governance. They'd be really I good th- at that. I, I think yeah. there's a whole combination of things that could be done here, and I think they'll go and sort through that. But there's a thing called insurance, and even if they could get their 61 and have a one-seat margin, you just do not want one of your backbenchers to be caught sending dick pics or something like we had down in the South Island. And then he has to, Miles. 
and then you're and it's all over because your majority's gone with you. So yeah. there's got to be a way of just a bit of insurance policy. And by the way, there's a big chunk of things that Winston is strong on that are pretty much agreed amongst ACT and National. Mm. You know, so they can pick out the bits where there is agreement, get him doing those things or ministers into those slots and allow the Bain Party, National Land Act, to get on and do some stuff in other areas. But we'll I see. really do think that if they try, they can make a very stable government with all three parties and giving them all um, a role, and that's really what they need to do for the good of the country. And I think I've they've got to keep that uppermost in their mind. I've always said if we had a true Green Party in New Zealand, we don't have a Green Party, but if we no. had a Green Party that was that saving the planet and worried about pure water and clean air and so on, then it would be worthwhile bringing them in and as giving them in the environment and the conservation portfolio and saying, you know, you get on and put your real work into getting the rivers clean and the air. But uh, right now we've got the biggest communist block of voters in the country live in the state <laughs> Green Party. Absolutely. Yeah, many last words? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, Chris Luxon is going to be forced to have to do something with uh, New Zealand First. Uh, I think we do actually need to pause a little bit and wait till those specials come in. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with Port Waikato as well. I could see a scenario where there could be a very vigorous fight uh, for Port Waikato. Uh, Andrew Bailey's got a few questions over his own share declarations and things like that. It might easily be battered away. But, you know, I could see New Zealand First uh, running uh, a campaign in Port Waikato to try and win that. They're very good at winning by-elections. They could say, we need to stiffen the resolve of, of the government. We need to keep the ACT Party in check. And that would be a, a very good message to run in a, in a by-election. And, and that's exactly how you can run campaigns and by-elections, you can be edgy and do that sort of thing. So everything's kind of up in the air until we see what the specials are. Then we'll have a good general idea of what the lay of the land is. And then there's Port Waikato as well. Uh, just quickly, Paul, on, on that co comment, it's worth looking at history. The number of unbelievably wild cards that have been delivered uh, in a by-election. I mean, Tamaki went to a by-election after Muldoon quit. What about who knew her when Winston and a guy, first came to Parliament? A guy, I can't remember his name now, from the Alliance was ahead, Chris somebody rather, and he was ahead until the last week where Helen came and joined up with Ross Armstrong, the National Party chairman, and did a deal to ensure that the Alliance didn't win a seat in Parliament in Tamaki. And we yeah. had Act, Act came so close to winning Taranaki King Country, King Country. the Bolger thing. Yeah. Big very campaign, much. very yeah, strong campaign, very, very close. A, a good example as well would be something like Timaru when Sir Basil Arthur, the Speaker, died in 1985 or whatever. There's a by-election there. Timaru had never even thought that there was a national party that existed. And Maurice McTeague won that by-election against a high-profile Labour candidate with a Labour government. And Labour are actually just in office and looking popular so by-elections don't follow the standard trend. Winston winning the far north. Well, he uh, won who knew her as well in a by-election. Correct. They don't follow the trend. They go all over the place. Yeah. So there you it go. Was, it's it all was, exciting. It's not it's over, Robert. It was Chris Leach, uh, Morris. The person Chris Leach, that was his name. You're right. Yeah. And interesting, too, because uh, 
Labor had four candidates uh, in there and finally selected Verna Smith, who uh, obviously didn't do well because uh, National selected that dynamic uh, candidate, uh, Clem Simich, to deliver a message to Wellington, although I think the pigeon got lost. Okay. Uh, we, we think in the end it was a message in a bottle. All oh, right, it's, it's, still it, floating float, it's still floating somewhere. It's Maybe one day someone's going to pick now. that up and they go, oh, look, there's a message in here, and they're going to read the words of Clemsimich. All right, guys, um, thank you for coming on our post-election uh, panel this Monday morning. We really appreciate it. Uh, Morris Williamson, Muriel Newman, Cam Slater, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks. You're thank welcome. You. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate, RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. Okay, to some of your texts and emails into 2057 and inbox at realitycheck.radio. Morning, Paul. My local radio station was on in the laundromat yesterday and it said there was still 20% of the vote left to come in. Special slash overseas votes? I think so, yeah. There are really only two parties in Parliament, NZ First and NZ Second. Thank you for that. Hey, everyone. Great to hear Morris's perspective on things re-MIQ. I was one of many thousands locked out and had to live in Spain for two months when they wouldn't honour my flight booking, booked nearly six months prior under the original rules. How great it was on Saturday to vote, having waited three long years to see this government fall on their sword. Keep up the great work, RCR. Thank you, Grant and Christchurch. Hi, Paul. We have to lobby Luxon to withdraw from the International Health Regulations Amendments. Can we start a conversation on that on RCR? Yes, we can. That's our next battle for New Zealand. Thanks, Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. And the easiest solution to the are you Māori question is for everyone to identify as Māori and then to reject any special treatment. Thank you, Steve. This is Reality Check Radio. Paul Brennan with you this morning. Now Marie Buskey joins us for the post-election Wahini Māori panel with Di Landy from Mana Wahini Corridor and Karina Shields, a.k.a. Auntie Hey Hey, joining Marie for this post-election chat. And boy, what a Saturday night it was. Uh, and joining me now to talk about the election wrap-up, and particularly with a Māori perspective, is Di Landy and Karina Shields. I'm, of course, Marie from Counterculture, but, you know, doing a little bit of election side gigging, as one does. Hey, ladies, how are you? Kia ora. Thank you. Kia ora. Well, it was all a bit unexpected, wasn't it? It um, was. It was very different to what I thought it was, how it would play out. Yeah. Well, what did you, so what, what did you think was going to play out, Karina, and what and what, what was those changes for you? Labour got a lot less than I thought. The green numbers were very surprising, and so were New Zealand First numbers. Yeah, New so Zealand, you oh. thought New Zealand First was going to be more or less? I thought they would be higher, especially mm. after what was being put out in the media. Yeah. What Same. about you, Di? Yeah. I thought New Zealand First would get less. I'm surprised Labour got as many as what they did. I'm saddened the Greens got as many as they did. But Absolutely. for me, um, looking, it's it's not that people voted for their favourite party. It's like people voted to get Labour out. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. was a lot of strategy voting going on. Yeah. yeah. And there uh, was... 
yeah, a lot less people voted with their heart and what they really wanted, and a lot of people went with the strategy just to try and get Labour out. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and it was certainly in the Māori seats, it was to Party Māori that uh, got the advantage for that, that's for sure. Yes. 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 It was I, good I, I to see Nanaia lose. Oh, yes. oh I, t- I tell you what, that was, um, I mean, it's in a way it's it's kind of poetic that the longest-standing female MP gets replaced by the youngest ever uh, yes. MP, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was, of course, in Haraki Waikato. Um, there were a couple of other. So, so I did a had to go and check with Political Yoda this um, this morning, as one does. Um, so, two things that I think a lot of people haven't picked up is because there was they've got those four seats, and the polling only was showing Rauri was going to win, but there was a lot of undecided. So that shows you, Karina, to, to your point, that strategic voting. So yes. they're currently sitting there with four seats, but with the potential for another two. And, I, and I'm and i going to talk about Tita Takara because I know that that's near and dear to your heart, Karina. Um, yeah. Calvin, they've lost the love for Calvin. Can't he's, say that only, he's only holding on at the moment by 487 votes. And I, I have, yeah, yeah. And what, so, what are your thoughts? Because you're up there at the moment. So, what what's the the word on the ground? I can't say that I'm surprised that Tetai are finally turning their back on them, because it's been a long time coming. But with the multi seats being the way that they are, you've got left, left, and left. Yeah. So you know your choices are you're either going to go with the multi party or you're going to go with Labour because those are the two that generally take out all of those seats. So here's and look so, at this the strategic voting that you mentioned, right? And this one yeah. was the one where it was most stark. So the yeah. Calvin's holding on with 487 at the moment from the Green, uh, sorry, from the Te Pāti Māori candidate, but the party vote was still 45% Labour. So there was yeah. a lot of Te Pāti Māori candidate. Labour yeah. Party vote. Yeah, and that's what I'm not understanding about the Northland vote in, in general, both the general and the Māori role. It's like, did you all forget what Labour have done over the last few years? How have they gotten as many votes have they as they've gotten up here when you look at the things that have occurred? Like, Willow Jean is still holding on. Like, she, she got roughly the same number of votes that she got the last time, and it's like, really? You've done nothing. As yeah. a Māori woman MP that was the Northland MP, you've you've done nothing, but you've still got the same number of votes that you got the last time. Yeah, and she's and then, not going anywhere. She's high enough up, up on the list yeah, yeah. that um, she's going to yeah head on through. Yeah, that she's going to stay there. And so it's a matter of just waiting for these special votes to be counted to see if Calvin actually does hold on, if mm. he's going to be able to just hold on to that seat or if that gap that he has is going to get even smaller. Yeah. 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 And and, and what, what about you? What are your thoughts on Te Tai Tokorau, Dai? Oh, I hope Calvin loses. <laughs> I really do. You know, like I'm sitting here laughing at Labour. They had the media in their pocket. They had the... Um, red gangs in their pocket and pushing all the prisoner votes and everything, and they still couldn't win. It really shows how dissatisfied New Zealand is. But for Tai Tukura, I I don't get, like, you know, the government's never been our friend. I can't understand why 
this is happening, yeah. you know, locking us out of our marae, wanting full control of our marae, wanting to come in without warrants or licence. So I, I don't understand how old Ngāti Bird is hanging on in there. Mm. Yeah, and same same as um, Willow Jean, you know, people wouldn't have even met her up there. No, and a lot of people in the north that I've talked to, they're like, she's never been around. I haven't seen mm. her all this time. You know, and now all of a sudden there's election, she's popped up again. Yeah, yeah. There is. There, there were certainly some interesting ones. Uh, the other one that really leapt out at me was Debbie Naro, um, Nawera Pekka. Now, she was, I mean, she was polling not to win that seat at all. <laughs> and she absolutely barnstormed home. Oh, and that speech, sheesh, he smelled depression and she was happy. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Anywho, she didn't hold back. Uh, but the other one that really stood out for me was um, Te Taitonga. That has been a very safe Labour seat for a long, long time. Oh, you want to see the nodding? I've got two women nodding. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah. if a Katni can't hold that, something is wrong. I mean, he's an anomalist anyway, but still. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it's, there's been a few surprising long-held Labour seats that have uh, they've lost in a landslide. And I noticed in Hipkins' speech last night, he, he <laughs> to me anyway, he blamed all his hard-working volunteers because he, you know, congratulated them on all the hard work they did and then ended it up with, and it still wasn't enough. Oh, I know, I know. It's pretty crazy. But before we leap off the Māori Party, one other thing. Did you see I did pull out in um, today's paper, where is it? Because, of course, with the overhang now, it means that with these extra seats, because the Māori Party have won more candidate seats uh, than they're entitled to in terms of party seats, we get extra MPs. So at the moment we're sitting at 121, and that's without the by-election in Port Waikato, which now will take it to 122. And then if they win those other two seats, if they flip, that's another extra two seats that they get. They don't get taken off Labour. I mean, Labour, they just re, it just rejiggles yes. the list. But yep. this is the thing. Te Pāti Māori success may leave to overhang by Nicholas Jones in um, the Herald on sun- Sunday. It was the final paragraph that got me. Uh, National Leader Christopher Luxon is previously ruled out working with Te Pāti Māori, saying that while National has worked with the party under Sir John Key, the current party is very different and there's no philosophical alignment. Okay, yes. Yes. Tamahiri, however, said there was potential to work out an arrangement. What's so funny about um, Mr Tamahiri saying that is he stood in Teatitu, didn't he, and only got, like, less than a 1,000 votes. Well, yeah, yeah, and Teatitu is – so funny you should – funny, let's get on to the general stuff, shall we? Funny you should bring up Teatitu, Di. Chatterton's yeah, actually yeah. my lecture, so yeah, we can. Well, it is it is as tight as a nun's nasty in Tia too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Angie Nicholas is holding it currently with the grand total of thirty votes from Phil Whitford. Yep, Good. not much in it at all, and it's going to come mm-hmm. right down to the wire over those special votes. Right. I'm sorry, I'm like... how can they vote for Phil Whitford? I know that's... that's what I don't understand. I'm like looking at my community around me, going. Did you forget the floods that we had in August 21? 
when we couldn't get full Twyford out here, when we couldn't get um, <laughs> skip bins to help clear up the flood mess, like we didn't see Twyford for a long time. How mm. has he got this many votes? And I so mean, I, I, to-, to be fair, that is one I think that will flop. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I they, hope so. They, they flip. They generally flip to. Well, I just the, the specials. I can't. I can't see the specials favouring national, but you just never know. Yeah. What, what about, what about Labor, in, but... Yeah. What about in your neck of the woods, Di? Um, I think we finally got rid of Labour out of us. Tim Costley won here in Ōtaki. But we didn't have as many like, you know, I come on the general election and I only had the main parties. Mm. There, there wasn't that many candidates to vote for. So, um, but I'm, I'm glad Labour's out of the electorate. Yeah. And and that's because the um, Labour MP here has some sort of trans kid. <laughs> well, here, so I want to sort of, I was on uh, for a half an hour on the election coverage that we did here on on the night because I had a little bit of a do going on at my place. So, you know, it was a bit full on. However, I know that when I jumped on, I was on from about from about 8 to 8.30. And, I mean, you could see the trend. By then, enough of all that early voting had been counted. You could It was looking still fairly solid. At that stage, New Zealand First was sitting on around six, just on 6%. And I know that Paul and Olivia were, were pretty down about it. And I sort of tried to back them up. I mean, I know that they was those couple of polls where the numbers were quite a bit higher at the end. And I do believe the the tactic of scaring the electorate with a second election spooked those few what I call easy-ozy middle dwellers who aren't yes. 100% happy with Mr Potato Head and wanted to yeah. um, and thought that they might go New Zealand first. That scared them back into line. However, yeah. however... This is absolutely historic. No party has got 6.5%. 6.5% party yeah. vote with no candidate, eight fantastic MPs yes. that they're bringing in. I'm sorry, that, that's cause for celebration. If I were New, Ve- New Zealand first, yeah. I'd be, I mean, I'm gutted that the likes of Erica and Kirsten and Lee Donoghue aren't there. But you know what? That is still a jolly good result. Isn't it from from out coming cold, coming off cold, and just coming in, and then you know, like Erica and Kirsten and Lee may very well be staffers in there, mm. or some, you know, get a job with the party anyway, because that you know they've got some really good candidates in there. I, you know, I think you know National and New Zealand First could do some really good work together if if they got together on the right footing. So here's the interesting and thing. If Winston follows through, that's the yes. other thing is we've got to make sure that Winston stays true to the things that he has said. Yeah, because yes. he has flip flopped so much in um, the past. It will be interesting to see how the these next little sort of weeks um, roll out because obviously there is the Port Waikato by election, and yes. and it will be, you know Casey Costello stands in that seat and she's number three on the list so. There is the opportunity for them to go hard in there if they wanted to and see if they could actually flip it to get them an, another seat up on up in the list. Yeah. So Casey would come off and a new candidate would come on. 
It's so the other thing I said to Paul on Saturday night was around the COVID inquiry because he was pretty down about that. He, that's something that's really near and dear to his heart. I have to admit, it was one of the key things for me in terms of the decision yeah. to vote. David Seymour had already announced two weeks prior in a fit of desperation when he saw his numbers plummeting, and I think in a hope to try and salvage uh, the leeching whatever remainder of libertarian voters he had, uh, and he said that he would, the look on your face, Karina, is priceless, um, was he said that he would accept submissions around uh, doing an independent expanded Royal Commission of Inquiry. Now, as I said to Paul, it's one thing we're all really good at is doing submissions. Yes. <laughs> Di, do you feel a submission coming on? I know you're rather partial. Oh, yes. Oh, well, I just might have to. I might have to because, you know, the, the whole lead up to this election, I just can't believe the malfeasance. You know, like I've heard from a, more than one scrutineer that they weren't trained. There was three three lines, you know, and even when so they had the special vote line, the Maori line, and the general election. Other elections, it was just, you know, those three lines were for everyone and they all had the right pads. Special votes run out of special vote forms and a few electorates. And um, we had green members lurking around the polling booths like Aqualung, you know, they were just missing their trench coat. Just, you know, <laughs> um, ringing people on the day, door knocking on the day. Oh, yep. you know, yeah, well, oh, I did hear, be- do you think the Greens crossed the line there? There is there is yeah. talk that they're... Yes, yes, I do believe they did. I mean, even before two weeks ago, they were putting their signs up within the boundaries of not being able to. They, they just yeah. don't go give a hoot, you know. I think that the gender ideologies pickled their brains. They think they're special. Mm. So, Di, what are your thoughts? Facebook page. Yeah, so the the Greens, no, that's all right. So let's have a little unpick of the Greens for a minute because they have been, they have been the unexpected surprise for me Mm. of this election because they Um. certainly weren't out and about and they weren't in the media and the only time they rolled anyone out was James Shaw and when he opened his mouth. So what are your thoughts on this, Karina? What 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 was the secret to the Green success? I don't know what they've done or how they've done it because I just can't see after everything that has happened this year and the things that have come out of Marama Davidson's mouth and the things that the Greens have done, I can't see how they got that many votes. Youth. They got the youth vote. Because the mm. Greens you know, globally have scared the youth into believing they're going to be dead and the world's over in 50 years and that if you don't vote for us, that's your last chance. All that scaremongering, fair voting, I think they've they got the youth liberal vote. Mm-hmm. Definitely in Auckland Central they did. Same as well. Yeah, you know, just, oh, no, she's still in. Ugh. Yeah, and then yeah. they won Wellington, Wellington City. Yes, and was her. it Ra- yeah. Rangatai, I think was the other one? Was it Julianne Genta? Oh, yes, but we have to get rid of Fleur. It's so great, to, you know, this is back to that strategic voting. We had to get Fleur Fitzsimmons out. Just, mm. uh, you know, no if, buts or maybes. You know, there's been a lot of dead wood. I'm pretty happy to see that Labour's going to lose about... 30 MPs or seats or whatever they're called. Oh, it's that's a huge usually number. up no end. Yeah. 
That's uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, it's only that's the little things die. It, it is, it is. Because you know, yeah. there's just a lot of dead wood singing from the same song sheet. You know, you it's like popping a penny in the slot and they all just do what the clown does, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing um exciting, nothing um yeah, they, they bring nothing to the table. New Zealand done, New Zealand first, I believe, done the best campaigning, you know, to come out cold. But, oh, but can we trust Winnie? And I'm thinking, how can you put trust a politician in the same sentence? You know, he hasn't cornered the market on this, eh? Mm. And, and to come out so cold and, and fund it themselves, you know, because none of their signs were paid for like the parties in the House. Yeah. If, you know, and, and like we're on, you know, we haven't had election signs here for a couple of weeks because they just kept getting vandalised. Yeah. All of them. And and it just shows people's um, frustration, I believe, the utter frustration of where we're at as as Kiwis, as New Zealanders. Um, I, I don't know if New Zealand first and the Māori Party, but they're kind of like polar opposites to me because they're for the co-governance and koro isn't. Um, they're right into this apartheid and stuff and koro isn't. You know, there's um you know, there's lots of things they're polar opposites on. So this is gonna be quite interesting. Hopefully, um the new Prime Minister picks up his bloody balls and votes on the side of woman. Because it, it's more than just toilets, but that's just a really good place to get everyone stuck on. Um yeah. But the Women's Party, to even get as many votes as they did, I think was really awesome. Let's watch them for the next three years and watch them go from strength to strength, I say. Mm. You know, a, a new party just formed on the back of the violence at Albert Park. You know, I, I think they've done extremely well. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So, so Karina, yeah. you are somebody who keeps an eye on the social media. Yeah. What's What's been the word on the talk of tick? Oh, I'll tell you what, the worst supporters that I have come across this election cycle have been the loyal supporters. They have yeah. been absolutely vile on TikTok. And it's like you can't say anything without them attacking you. And it honestly comes across like Liz Gunn is the new Jacinda. That's yeah. how it's been coming across. And, if you, of course, I've talked about all different parties on my TikTok, mm. but if I talk about loyal, it's just attack, attack, attack. You don't know what you're talking about. Have you looked into it? Have you da 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 da? And it's just, I'm like, wow. I actually thought that to party Maldi supporters were the worst, but no, uh, you've proven <laughs> you've proven me wrong, and it's actually the loyal supporters. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, it's so, what's your experience, Di? Yeah. Oh, it's a shame the smaller um, parties didn't all get together and back NZF. But, you know, the only one that I'm, I don't know, hopefully optimistic will stay around and do something with it as the women's party. The rest can go jump in the sea as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, so it's funny. I had a look at the, uh, the breakdown of the percentage of votes uh, for those smaller parties, right? And it appears that a number of those uh, really small parties um, did actually, when it came to the voting booth, I think from a party vote perspective, did actually go New Zealand first. You know, mm. they, when you look at how they were polling, 
prior yeah. to what they actually got on the day. So they got that message. And they did it. Yeah. And I think new conservatives yeah. fit into that, Leighton Baker fits into that. But definitely, also too, um, Democracy NZ fits into that. I yeah. think they, they they went and did that. They thought, no, we need to get something there. I know um, I had a lot of people here on Saturday and there were a lot of us here that did the, uh, we had our Freedom candidate, Napier was a Democracy NZ candidate. So it was a Democracy NZ New Zealand First combo. The exception of that too, of course, was... NZ loyal and uh, and it's interesting that you say that there is that comparison um, with Liz and Jacinda and that was certainly the comparison that was drawn by a number of people that were here on Saturday night and and I for me personally I I find it concerning there were some behaviours yes. there particularly towards the end of the campaign whereby yes. uh, an interview Liz had said her reasoning for creating a party was she put took into question the integrity of the Tamakis and but you know she didn't want that to reflect that on Sue because Sue was you know a good person from the NZ Outdoor and then she turns around and runs a candidate last minute directly against Sue and says some and it's just like yeah. really she, really Liz really yeah, she did that to everybody she did it to a lot of the smaller parties. She was standing yeah. candidates against these other smaller parties. And it's like, but if you all believe in the same thing and, you know, you've got 72 electorates, why are you not picking different seats? Yeah, And absolutely. taking the best strategy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, you've got to question her motives and what she's up to because it just looked really dodgy mm. yeah. as we got closer to the election. Yes, so, it did. I just, I, New Zealand loyal, it was like they were just fraying at the edges. I, they were just fraying and it was just, oh, hell, oh, hell. Um, and and so too, you, much, so, so yeah, too much, too much Yeah, so I was just mm. going to say the bullshit meters for both of you were pinging pretty hard, pretty hard then. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like if, if I, um, you know, hadn't consulted with New Zealand first, I probably still would have voted for them because of the strategy, you know. Like I say, we voted to get Labour out, you know, yep. and, and and there's thousands of people that held their nose and voted because it was very important that we get this change happening. Mm. Aye. Mm. And, yep. um, and the thing with change too, for change to be effective, it has to be incremental. The one thing I that I like about New Zealand first is they understand the nature and function and machinery of politics. Oh, yes. You know, like what, 30 years, NZ? 30 years, yeah. 30 years. And, you know, he's still the only politician from all those successive governments that's there to face what's happened. Yeah. Aye. He's still the only one with his head above the power. He keeps coming back. He keeps coming back where everybody <laughs> yeah. else, they lose and, and they right. go on their merry way and they go to the UN or they go overseas yes. to other jobs. Yeah. They never they never actually make a career out of it, but he has stuck around. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, I think it was 5% went to all the minor parties. Yeah, it was 5.25%. Uh, yeah. So that's... Really not that much considering we've only got the special votes to go. But, you know, like watching the social media, um, the, the running out of forms, that electronic 
election thing broke for most of the day. You know, it went down just after nine and didn't come back till after three. Polling booths and, you know, this is from scrutineers, polling booths were advertised where there was no polling. They weren't yes. well equipped. They weren't well trained. Um, you know, New Zealand did really well to get the result we did get with all the um, admin That's side of it not being up to scratch, yeah. up to par. Yeah, you but know, can we say out. that we're surprised with, I mean, let's face it, they've had six years of not obtaining and achieving anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, the same. <laughs> yeah. And then I've heard from a scrutineer who did it in 2020, and she said this year it was completely different and there was a lot of issues with yeah. voting day because she's been scrutineering all week and watching mm. over at the polling booths. And she said, this year is completely different, and so she's doing a whole write-up about it mm. and comparing oh, yes. the notes from... What I'm hearing, it was either one or t'other. It was either an absolute breeze or it was yeah. an absolute disaster and there was nothing in between. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we went to three different polling booths yesterday <coughs> because the first two had just massive lines that looked like they were going nowhere. And so I was like, oh, now let's just go somewhere else. Like, There's lots of schools where we are. We'll just go to the next school, and we ended up the third one was empty, mm. and it was just in and out. But a lot of these other places just had a lot of trouble with getting people through to vote. Yes, that three lines, and you know they had people waiting in the rain, old people standing for ages, and you know it was just you know the three lines for me that's ridiculous because it's always gone, and and they just knew which pad to grab. Instead yeah. of having, you know, you've got a whole line for the general and the special votes and the Māori line are empty, but you're yeah, not well, taking it, the people. Yay. Because it used to be, instead of having all the different lines, you used to just have a single person there. They all had three pads each. Yes. And then yep. they just picked whatever form the person needed, depending on. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So why on earth they changed that, I don't know. Oh, gosh, why have they done anything? It's all, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> The, oh, yes, the same could be said about anything that this government have done over the last six years. Just why? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so I did uh, a little diving yeah. to see how some of the reactions. I've actually been staying off social media, <laughs> to be <laughs> fair. Gave myself a break, but I uh, couldn't help myself. It's a little bit like um, watching a train wreck in slow motion. I thought I'd read Chanel Lal's column. Oh, um, yeah. Mm. I haven't oh. caught up with Chanel for a while. Poor pet. Poor pet. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, no, poor darling is, um, He he's. I think he's a bit triggered, <laughs> is our wee darling. He, he's uh, just trigger happy, that boy. <laughs> yeah, the government's role is to foster unity, says our Chanel. Uh, and he... I often find politicians debating people's identities and fundamental rights instead of proposing solutions of pressing challenges affecting New Zealanders, like poverty, homelessness and climate change. Indeed, some po politicians are hyperfixated themselves and their followers on the rights of Māori <laughs> and transgender New Zealanders. It naturally increased the level of abuse faced by marginalised communities online and, in some instances, it has seeped into the offline world. Oh, poor lad. I, I've got one thing to say about that. 
Chanel needs to stop pretending that he is the voice for Te Ao Māori and for Māori people. He's a Indian male. Babe, he sister. is not the voice for Māori. That's right. Oh, he's Fiji, yeah, he's Fijian. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know. I, uh, I, so the division, the division between the two groups of people has always existed to varying degrees. It became greater and more visible with COVID-19 on our shores around 2020. Some people made it their mission to prey on vulnerable people who were susceptible to misinformation and force them down rabbit holes. The thing about rabbit holes is that once someone goes down one, they keep digging. There you go, ladies. Do you feel vulnerable? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Well, it's not a rabbit hole, and I'm glad it's not a bloody glory hole as well. <laughs> Jesus, you know, that's the only hole he can talk to. You know, he needs to stop speaking out of his ass, actually. Yeah. Oh. He needs to stop speaking for us and mind his business. Yes, yeah. stay in your lane. Yeah. Stay them. <laughs> stop <laughs> using our culture to push your agenda. Mm. Oh, I'm, look, the amount of times that these people go, uh, for the treaty, under the Treaty of Waitangi, no, we're doing it because of the treaty. I just want to just poke their eyes out. You know, yeah. stop stop this malfeasance in my name. Stop it. You're liars. This yeah. isn't for the treaty. It's something you've made up. <laughs> hey, it's yeah. awful. And I'll, All their interpretations of the treaty to push these agendas, I'm like, oh, see, this is why people don't want a bar of the treaty because so many of you are interpreting it your own way. Yes, like, you know, the city councils are saying it's because of the treaty of why they're letting men into women's changing rooms. Did you miss the clause in there about transgenderism in the in the treaty? <laughs> uh, yeah, I must have. It must have gone, just completely gone away. But, you know, and why, why I, I'm really hoping the media get their asses handed to them on a platter for their bullshit over the last three, six years. They... The MSM has been absolutely horrid. Mm. And, you know, like. Yeah. We do definitely. Well, so we do hear that there are changes afoot because, of course, they've been suckling on the uh, public tit for quite a long time now. And the one thing that I will give both uh, Nicola Willis and Brooke Van Velden, who look after the financial sides of things for those key parties, those women have got a really solid. I mean, they gave Nicola Willis a bit of grief about it, but she's she's fairly solid. And Brooke Van Velden has got, I think, a master's in economics. Yeah. Yeah, she's a numbers girl, that one. She is a numbers girl. And I just think that, I mean, gosh, you know, they had it good under Willie, didn't yeah. they? Didn't they? Yeah. Far too good. I mean, you know, the headlines, the, the infantilizing and spoon feeding has just been so nauseating. So, so nauseating. Like, what was the headline yesterday? ACC discloses how many noodle injuries there are. From instant noodles, you know. What, oh, what about I thought those? those pool noodles, and I was thinking, huh, what? No, you know, instant noodles. Nothing about how bad they are for you or anything. Just how many injuries they've been. Like, get out of dodge, will you? You know, this yeah. isn't news. No, and, and the interesting I, thing was to see Tova at the national do last night. No? Really, Tova, yeah. 
she was with at the national thing last night, and I'm like, oh, that's a bit interesting because you've been a Labour hmm. media person all of this time. You're hedging your bets, woman. Yes. You know your friends are gone, and so now you Aye. need to get in there with Lux and uh, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting well, one. Well, considering she survived uh, the Today FM demise, she's obviously uh, feathering one's nest. She's quite good at it, do you think? Yes. Oh, yeah. David, Jessica, David, Jessica, Jessica. <laughs> yeah, she's hey. gone from being the media show star to being working for stuff. Now, how far of a fall is that? <laughs> Stuff. You're working for a publication <laughs> that was sold for a dollar. Mm. Yeah. It will be interesting to see how uh, how things pan out. I do know, or well, I have heard that there are redundancies afoot at a couple of these uh, big organisations as the the taps, the spigots have been turned off. So yeah, I guess something. that's a watch the space. And it's something Marty said to me the other day. He said, "Gosh, imagine if you know a station like ours got a fraction of the funding that they get. What we can do, you know? I mean, it's amazing how you can. And this is again New Zealand First cycling it back around to the success of the yeah. New Zealand First campaign. That to me again was proof at what you can do with hard work, determination, volunteer hours, and passion. Yes." Yes, they've done really well, you know, the 6.8 or 6.78 seats. That's awesome. You know, just come off cold, springboard up. So I'm really glad that NZF are going to be in the house. It doesn't matter if they're in opposition, they're still in there. Yeah. You know, you've got still to make avenues it. to pursue. Yes. Well, it's the just, thing is, is if they're there, it means, and I mean, you can you've consulted back with them, Di. As I was saying to someone um, yesterday, is You've got to forget that you've got to remember that the media hasn't been on our side for so many of these issues. They will not talk about them at all. But if you're in the house protected by privilege, yes. Oh, there's a lot you can you can say. So yeah. he's hoping, like you said, yeah. Karina, that they stick to their word. He's yeah. hoping. Because you know, New Zealand does need a shake up. We've all gotten a bit comfortable. All got in a bit bloody um, blase and lazy. Um, yeah, so we need a bit of a shake-up. There's a lot of complacency out there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, oh, well, it'll so be interesting to see how far uh, Labour and Labour National Enact go in terms of coalition negotiations and whether or not they throw an olive branch, even if it's just on some issues of supply. I mean, if they had half a brain, I reckon they should make an offer to Winston Parliament to Cabinet with that experience if they yes. really wanted to solidify. Yes. Like, you know, if, if, they, if both those parties got together and worked towards the common good, it, it would be, you know, quite something to see mm, and advantageous yeah. to not only the politicians but also us citizens. Yeah, and I think it comes down to us putting the pressure on them to make sure yeah. that they're still doing it. And if David Seymour wants submissions, hey, let's start doing submissions. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. And we yeah. need to see what happens with some of that flipping too because, you know, that you get that overhang with the extra seats. Well, that actually throws a spanner in the works because at the moment they're sitting on 61 seats between the two of them. Plus yeah. you've got the by-election, which they're likely to win, but if if those two extra seats get won yeah. by Te Party Māori, well, hello. Yeah. You know, it's It's not as... It's it's not as clear cut as I think Christopher Luxon would like. 
years. No, no, no. I think we're in for a bit of a a bit of a wait, like the last two or three elections, till we find out who's in there. Yep. Got three no. weeks for the special votes, and then then the interesting stuff happens once we know for sure what the numbers are and how many seats they've got yeah. at National and Act, and are they going to bring Winston in because they need him, or are they going to? Hopefully. Oh, we've lost Karina. Oh, she must be walking around out there. <laughs> hey, Cuddy, you're frozen up in that winterless north. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, she's right. Hopefully they do. Oh, there she oh, is. Yeah. Now, you, you said, froze. I know. You said you, um, it will be interesting to see what they do, whether or not they bring Winston in because they need him, and then you froze. <laughs> Or because they want to do a supply and confidence type deal. Yeah. So once we get through the next few weeks and all those specials are counted, that's going to be, yeah, where we see the interesting stuff start to happen. Mm, right now it's just a waiting game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is. It I mean, is. And they, some of their policies do align with each other. More than you might think, actually. Yes. Yes, yeah. so that's what I was thinking. Oh, that could be a really good thing. I hope um, Christopher Luxon does does get Koro in. Mm. The other thing he can use him for too is that some of the the more contentious policy, like for example, like the gender policies and yeah. REC and education and such, he can use uh, New Zealand First as the the vehicle. So then. Yes. You know, yes. and, and and Winston wouldn't mind that at all. I don't no. Think. No, I don't think so either. And anything to get traction, eh? Mm. It's, uh, yeah, and like you say, with the parliamentary privilege, we'll be able to say a lot more in the House than if he's out of the House. Mm. So, that, and, you know, just want to be right to be. And, yeah, yeah, so, it's a, you know, it's a scary but exciting times. It is. It is. All right, <laughs> ladies. Well, thank you very much for joining me this morning. I have no really appreciated worries. it. Actually, we should have a catch up in, in about six weeks or so, and we'll see, you know, see what See, see what once everything's settled and where we're yeah. at. Yes, and yeah. see where we're at and how we're thinking. And no, um, it sounds like a great idea. Oh, well, thank you so much. I've been talking here, of course, with Karina Shields, Di Landy, and I'm myself, Marie, just seeing, you know, our, our thoughts. From a, yeah. a, a Wahine Māori perspective on what happened and transpired of the election over the weekend. Take care. More great content here and post-election discussion with Reality Check Radio coming up. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. for that. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. Coming up on Greenwashed from 10 this morning, Bryce McKenzie, Groundswell NZ co-founder, joins Jazpreet and Don to discuss the question, will the new government fit the bill? Tony Seabrook checks in about politics affecting Western Australia. And four former presidents of Federated Farmers, Katie Milne, Owen Jennings, Charlie Pedersen, and RCR's own Don Nicholson, explain their prognosis of the election and a prescription for a better agriculture sector. You can listen live on your app or on the website right here. That's Greenwashed on RCR from 10 this morning with your hosts, Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson. 
In just a few minutes, we'll hear Cameron Slater's one-on-one interview with Winston Peters done on election night. Cameron got the first one-on-one with Winston. We will hear that interview in just a few minutes from now. You can also catch the replay of this interview on the RCR website or the app under the crunch. And you can also read Cam's accompanying blog post by hitting blog in the bottom right of your app. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. Okay, Cam Slater with Reality Check Radio. I'm here with Winston Peters now. Winston, it looks like you're back in Parliament with a, a team behind you. Well, I'm very grateful to the team, and I'm also grateful for those voters that brought us back, because we've done the impossible, and that's so important in this campaign. There's a lot of uh, peep listeners in Reality Check Radio that uh, are sitting on a webinar right now. Uh, have you got a little message for them? Uh, they're probably not going to stay too long with us, and uh, we'll be broadcasting this later, but have you got a message for those uh, people on Reality Check Radio? Well, simply that uh, a grateful thanks goes out to them. Because it's impossible in this environment to actually get back to the circumstance we're in, but with their help, we've made it. And the Parliament will have a watchdog, someone watching every day to make sure we keep the system honest. Just speaking about that watchdog role there, uh, the numbers look a bit baked in now, uh, but of course there's special votes to come, which could be a surprise for everybody. Uh, You're looking uh, just a bit under 6%, which is, what, 7 MPs, something like that. Um, Do you see yourself uh, being in government with the National Party at some point, or do you think uh, you're just going to wait and see? Well, at the time of this interview, it's much more clever to wait and see, because a lot could happen even now. And uh, always celebrate this one thing. Whatever we're talking about, you could not do unless you're back in Parliament. Of that, we're assured. Obviously, if you were in government, uh, there's a couple of things that you've uh, said were very important. Uh, one being, of course, the inquiry into uh, into the COVID uh, debacle. Uh, will you still be pushing for that, even if Christopher Luxon uh, doesn't uh, give you a call and, and have you form part of the government? Well, you can have an inquiry by way of uh, parliamentary questions every day, or you can have a proper inquiry within a year, finish it off and respond to the people who have been, in our view, misled, maltreated, and who deserve to be considered in the considerations going forward. So we're going to press on with that, no matter what happens tonight. This campaign, everybody wrote you off. Uh, And then David Seymour and the Labour Party attacked you. And uh, you're back in Parliament now. Have you got a message for either of them? Well, in the big picture, we're looking going forward at um, ensuring this country recovers its economic and social circumstances from what is a clear position of crisis in so many places. And uh, whatever they might have said, that's their job, but that's our job now. We've got to go out and fix these fundamental things up with our economy and our social life.
I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, Christopher Luxon is going to now have to sit down and get an actual state of the accounts, and things might be a little bit different from what they've promised. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, I thought that when they were talking about the preview, that's a pre-election fiscal update on the uh, 12th of September, they hadn't seen with clarity and acuity the true state of the economy. They need to open the books tomorrow and the next week and find out the true circumstances because they look and will be much worse than we thought. Chris Hipkins has you know, been talking it up all week that there was a surge on that they were going to come back. You've stated quite clearly you wouldn't work with uh, Chris Hipkins or the Labor Party. Uh, are you satisfied with the result uh, that Labor looks like they've got about 25-26%? They need to understand that when they got the election victory of 2020, it wasn't them and tonight they've found out by themselves they were a mess month after month. And this is a massive loss from having more than half of Parliament last time to now having such a small number in Parliament. It's been a shocker for them. And I hope that they and their supporters will have learned some lessons from it. And dare I say it, the mainstream media and their, um, found, um, their, their woke supporters, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the mainstream media uh, have certainly been uh, running an agenda against New Zealand First. Uh, you know, the National Party and the ACT Party also um, pretty much didn't send too many people our way, certainly on my show, but uh, I found the New Zealand First candidates were willing and able to come at the drop of a hat onto the show. Oh, look, this is a long-term matter here. We're looking going forward at a party that's uh, on the rise again, that they all dismissed, they all shut down, and they so malevolently treated. But in the end, we've got to be grateful for small mercies in this context. We are on our way back, big time. It'll take a little time to ensure that the system understands that. Winston Peters is always the comeback king. Have you thought about a song for you when you go down and talk to your supporters later on? No, I truly haven't. There's too many so similar songs. There's a lot in uh, folk songs and singing that's about politics. And um, often the message is more with greater clarity in singing than there is in actually speech making. And if you've seen the last um, four months of sausage rolls and ice cream, people got to find out very shortly what that means. Well, Chris Hipkins is going to have to buy his own sausage rolls from, from now on. Ah, oh, look, I, we always knew that he was going to be a problem, uh, that he wasn't up, to, wasn't up to it. But then, as it turns out, nor was his predecessor. No. Anyway, Winston, you're back in Parliament and uh, you can be very pleased with, the, with that result. Um, we've got to wait for the specials, of course, and uh, that's always your refrain, isn't it, after every election? Well, you know, uh, people have all sorts of thoughts and be cheering from the rafters, but the big picture going forward is as it always was going to be. How good will our country be as a result of tonight's election? And whatever we think, we've got to make sure we get a far better outcome than we were living through. And that's the key thing. You, you know, you can make promises all you like during an election campaign, but now the rubber hits the road and you've got to look into all of the accounts and see where we're at. And, you know, I have a, a suspicion that uh, Grant Robertson has left the cupboard literally bare in a mountain of debt that we're going to take a generation to pay off. Look, I don't think the commentariat and even the economists quite got what happened here. If you go from the preview, that's the update, just before the 2020 election to where we'd be in 2023 and going forward, there's a massive change there. 
I don't think they actually read what was going on. They were just too close to it and not looking, stepping back forward and examining it. But Grant Robinson, for example, had a budget 19 billion more than we did in his four projections. That's a colossal amount of money. And there's a good chance that, the, that Grant Robertson might actually be out of Parliament if Labor doesn't get any list MPs. Is that a good thing? Oh, look, uh, the fact is he tried and he found out that in the end. Politics is not about the beltway. It's not about the experts. It's not about a group of university trained people, most of whom have never done any business in their life. It is about the people and tonight the people have spoken. And I hope they understand that. Better still, going forward, they learn some dramatic lessons from it. Whether you're in government or, or without government, your comments are that there's going to be a watchdog, someone that's going to hold the government to account or keep control of, of what's going on. Uh, this does, though, give New Zealand First a good uh, footprint to go into the next election, doesn't it? Well, it's always about rebuilding and going forward. It's only a three-year term, so to speak. But uh, our job is to make sure that the, those people, that the people who voted for us for a certain purpose, get us to fulfil that purpose. And that's keeping an eye on things, keeping an eye on things, and making sure the public hear the facts and not be drilled down on hype and spin. That we actually go forward with our eyes wide open, right here and right now. And that's our purpose. And we are very, very good at it. That's what our you know, history has been, to say things and do things, to raise a roof where nobody else would raise a finger. We're going to go forward doing that. Well, Winston, congratulations on getting back into Parliament, and uh, I'll leave you now to organise the rest of your evening and watch the rest of the numbers roll in. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time on your show all this time, because in the present climate, having uh, independence of uh, messaging, so to speak, is important. It's the essence of the fourth estate in a democracy, and we were losing it. Well, that's what Reality Check Radio is all about. It's about giving voice to every political party and every candidate that's out there. You know, we've done over 200 um, interviews uh, in the election campaign, a fair few of them with New Zealand First, uh, but that's because they always said yes, and uh, that's our mission. Our mission is to challenge the mainstream media and to get the truth out there, and you're welcome any time on my show. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate, RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. All right, coming up in just a few minutes here at RCR, another political panel. And joining me in just a moment, Roe Edge, Bob McCroskey and Marty Gibson. But first, though, let's look into the mailbag from over the weekend some of the feedback we've had regarding our coverage of this election. Producer Dave has been looking into it. Dave, what's been happening? Good morning, Paul, and a huge welcome to all of our RCR listeners. It's producer Dave here, and uh, I was just taking a stroll through the jungle that is the RCR inbox. And as you know, you guys love to give it to us straight with some hard-hitting direct feedback. Since we launched RCR just over six months ago, we've created thousands of hours worth of content, and we've been inundated with feedback. Today, I'd like to share with everyone some mostly very positive messages from our election night party webinar on Saturday night. Now, I'm going to leave the constructive feedback to Paul to share and respond to tomorrow. But all your feedback is really appreciated by us here at RCR, and from our wonderful hosts, the amazing admin team, and everyone who works behind the scenes at RCR. 
Our mission is to bring you both sides of the story, to keep you informed with rational discussion, common sense, and open debate. We may sometimes fall short, but that is always our goal. So let's get into it. Thank you guys for your wonderful, intelligent, and insightful coverage of the election. So refreshing to listen to, even if the vote did not swing to New Zealand first as much as I hoped, to bring in more freedom candidates. In these times, it was like being with a big, happy family and community. We'll be listening into RCR this morning for more wonderful radio. Keep up the good work and love to you all, Mike. Thanks, Mike. We even had David Trotter text in. Hi, everyone. That was the best front seat view of any election I have ever listened to, watched or attended. Stellar job from everyone. Thanks, Dave. Dear all, thank you to all of your presenters and the feedback you supplied on the night was excellent. I watched until you closed down. I briefly looked at the mainstream offerings, but it was annoying and gimmicky. All I can add is I really appreciated what you do for us and thank you sincerely for all your hard work. I listen to RCR every day and I have learned so much about what is really happening in our country and elsewhere in the world. Thank you so much. You cannot know how valuable your program is. Kind regards, Diane. Good evening. We just wanted to thank you all so much for the election night coverage. You all did an amazing job and it was such a great event to watch. Wish we could convert everyone from mainstream media to hear you. We are converted RCR supporters and are very proud to wear our RCR merchandise. Often get comments also and always have our brochures at the ready. Thanks again for an informative, fun night. Pip and Merv. And then Rochelle texted in, I found the coverage interesting, informative, and therefore enjoyable. I'm basically a Labour and Green supporter, before the terrible response to the pandemic, the sudden sprouting of wokeism, and the multiplication of everything. So I had no sympathy with the excitement of so many of the commentators to the change to National and Act, which I consider will be a disaster economically, socially, and environmentally, for New Zealanders and NZ Biodiversity. It was good to be able to use the chat and see what others think, and actually receive some support. I especially enjoyed Rodney, Natalie, and Paul as moderator. So thank you, and well done. Rochelle. And now for some feedback on Maurice Williamson. Some of you loved him, and some of you found him uh, rather challenging. Once Maurice Williamson went away, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't as though the public actually wanted National Maurice. They just wanted to be rid of Labour. Anyway, it was lovely to have an ongoing result report that wasn't TVNZ. Thanks again, Sue. Thanks for that, Sue. Thank you for organising the election night party event. I was surprised and disappointed by all the vitriol directed in the chat towards Maurice Williamson when he was simply reading the figures predicting the likely outcome, which, as it turned out, was quite accurate. It wasn't his fault that National got a lot of votes, though perhaps not as many as they would have liked. Just wanting to express my gratitude for all your hard work. Kind regards, Gillian. Thanks so much, Gillian. And this from Alison. It was great. I am old school ex-pupil of Matamata College, so great to see you started with Maurice Williamson. His analysis was informed, incisive, and pertinent. Good to have the live with Peter Williamson too. You can see I grew up with the informed debate and balanced journalism. I was alarmed to view snippets of the Vaxathon in the election lead-up as I am resident in Brisbane and thankfully missed all that garbage. 
I cannot imagine Salwyn too good. Philip Sheary et al. ever hosting such an abomination, an attack on human rights. It is essential for democracy, our children and grandchildren, that we have informed debate and perspective on history that is balanced. We read Huxley's Brave New World in sixth form English, university examination class. 1972. I wonder what on earth they teach now. Top marks, many thanks for the excellent work. P.S. I had my iPad alongside me as I went about household duties here and thoroughly enjoyed the coverage. When I switched to my PC screen, I could see the electorate results clearer, but that detail wasn't necessary to an understanding of the action as it unfolded. Such a shame the audio failed. Yes, sorry about that, Alison and everyone. We did experience some tech issues on the night, uh, but a learning experience for everyone, and uh, we'll definitely work on it for next time. And Roger chimes in with good effort, Team Bokeh, for first time up. Alternative commentary and analysis. Brickbat for Maurice W. dominating and insensitive comments. Refreedom parties. A reality check for sure, but not reading the room very well. I'd give you a 6 out of 10, but way better than the unbearable Tosh MSM dished up with their hand-wringing lefty drive. Regards, Roger. And finally, one from our regular listener, Mike from Foxton. Thanks, Mike. Hi, Paul. At first I was gutted and a bit down, but it's amazing what a 32-kilometer bike ride will do on a cold morning. First, we have to get the specials counted, and there is a glimmer of hope there that we can get a few more in for New Zealand first, and hopefully another seat. With a bit of a wider look, we have NZ first. They're now holding the handbrake on and not letting the loonies just walk on through. This was, as I see it, the first foot through the door, and is a very good start. We always knew that we wouldn't get everyone across the line, and there was always, as Cam puts it, a lot of hopium. This is now just us doing what we have been doing for the last three years, and gaining more ground next time. I said it last night, we have not lost yet, and I have no intention of giving in now. We have VFF and RCR, so we all need to get behind you both, as we have done in the past, and keep holding their feet to the fire and waking people up. I'm in for the long haul. Cheers, Mike from Foxton. So thank you again for all your feedback. Remember to text 2057 or inbox at realitycheck.radio to share your thoughts. Again, our mission is to bring you both sides of the story to keep you informed with rational discussion, common sense, and open debate. We may sometimes fall short, but that is always our goal. So thank you all for listening. Back to you, Paul. All right, time for our other political panel this uh, Monday morning. I want to welcome Roe Edge, Bob McCroskey, and our own Marty Gibson to this panel. How are we feeling this morning, folks? Surprisingly good. (laughs) Better. (laughs) Better. (laughs) Did, Did the chips fall as you thought they would? Well, I made some predictions on uh, Friday, which I put on Twitter. Um, I got uh, correct that the Green Party wouldn't do as well, although if you watched their um, uh, speeches on uh, Saturday <laughs> night, you'd think they'd won the US presidency. Um, they were oh, very no. excited. Were they ridiculous? They, I actually wondered <laughs> if we'd had another. I wondered if we'd had another cannabis referendum and the yes vote had come. They've been smoking, smoking it up large. Yeah, they were, they were so excited. But, I mean... The media played out that they had a fantastic night. Sure, they won some electorates, uh, but 
actually their vote collapsed from polling of around 14, 15% to 10%. So I actually think okay. deep down they'll be disappointed. Um, yeah, I thought the Labour vote might slightly drop as well. I just did some stats actually before I came on, team, and I just had a look at some of the very favourable Labour seats like Mangere, Manarewa, Panmua, Otahu, Takanini, Te Atatū, uh, which are mainly South Auckland and one in West Auckland. And I had a look at the voter turnout uh, and just to give you an idea, basically in all those seats, a third of the voters that turned up in 2020 didn't turn up on Saturday. Oh, okay, Labour vote. So, yes, and that was one of the predictions that I made was that the Pacifica vote was going to stay home. And um, I think and I made it. what was the reasoning you gave for that, Bob? Why, why did you decide that they would be staying home? Well, it happened, uh, last time it happened was in 2008 when uh, Helen Clark uh, was voted out and because of basically uh, nanny state, anti-smacking law, shower pressure, all those types of things. And the Pacifica vote just really did not want to vote for all the social engineering that was going on, but they don't vote for other parties, so they just stay home. And I think that that's the mentality that they had for Saturday. They didn't want to vote for Labour. They didn't want to vote for another party, so they stayed home. Uh, but uh, Labour put in an effort to campaign in those areas, didn't they? They were at the markets and all, all those sorts of places. Yep, and obviously it was falling on deaf ears. Um, you know, in 2005, when Don Brash just got defeated by Helen Clark, everybody thought Don Brash was going to win. And then suddenly all the South Auckland seats came in and Helen Clark got through by a seat um, in, in that year. So that South Auckland vote is crucial for uh, Labour and um, a third of it didn't show up. And so that, that dented them even further than they already were. Row? You know, they did oh, campaign. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I mean, the way I've put it before is there were just too many turds and they ran out of glitter. Uh, that they, they, yeah. <laughs> how can you dress it up? I mean, and, and you know, they were, they were reduced to just telling barefaced lies, and that does work on a segment of the population. Another data point that always just well, it, it intrigues me, but it terrifies me is that one out of the states where uh, thirty percent of registered Democrats thought that people who refused to get vaxxed should have their children taken off them, and and that mentality exists in our electorate, and we've been blind you know, to that sort of pathology that's around us. Was that uh, glitter analogy from the Zoolander movie? Oh, I, I can't remember. I mean, I've worked in PR. <laughs> so I've seen it, it happen. Selling turds to the Queen or something, star. wrapped in glitter. Okay, sorry, Ro, your turn now. Yeah, look, I think um, it was it was, it was was a really good win over the weekend for the right, but I think it was also a win for tribal politics no longer being such a factor in deciding elections now. You know, we've got a large percentage of the population who are no longer tribal or who will not vote for their party if they don't agree with them. And I think that's actually really good for democracy because it means incoming governments now are on notice that if they don't perform, they're gone burger. You know, the public are not going to tolerate them and just vote because that's the way they've always voted before. And I think that's a really positive thing. But I think, yeah, you know, Chris Hipkins really summed up his campaign in that last debate when he had a go at, you know, Sam Uffendale for something he did when he was 16 years old. Like, that was just the most horrendous comment. And I think Desperate, right? That, Desperation. Like, that, that's all he had. Now, they had nothing to campaign on, no, no wins that, you know, that they'd, they'd achieved in government. So that's what he had to resort to. And I think that pretty much sums up their campaign. 
Let's talk about the campaigns. Um, anything stand out campaign-wise for any of the parties, for any of our panellists? Well, I, I was frustrated at National's nice campaign, how they, you know, they had probably more opportunity than any other opposition party ever to have a go at the lack of delivery of the government. And they just didn't. They just decided to play straight and clean and down the middle and be positive. And it, it did my head in because I thought, why aren't you taking advantage of this? But, you know, maybe there was a you know, method to their strategy and it actually worked. Um, I think ACT really butchered their campaign. We talked about that last time, but they'll still be really happy with the results. You know, they're nine, it's over 9%, I think, isn't it, at the moment? So they'll still be happy. Winston had a screamer. Like, it was just an awesome campaign, no. completely. You know, he made us laugh. Like, God, those Shane Jones TikTok videos, I, I showed those to so many people. To laugh in this election campaign was really, really refreshing because there was so much negativity around. And I think we saw that in their vote. I think they might be a bit disappointed. Maybe they were hoping for more, but still from nothing to six point, what are they, about 6.5%? I think rounded off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bloody amazing. Great base to build on too. Yep, exactly. Mm. Uh, I know, think the one thing that I want to say though is that National weren't just fighting the left. They're also fighting the media. It was almost like the media was another political party opposed to them. So they did really, really well just, you know, negating all that negativity from them. But we saw just how out of touch the media were. I don't know if you guys saw the Tover O'Brien poll um, column, sorry, yesterday. She wrote, no. this, <laughs> she wrote this column and it just demonstrated how disconnected they were from everyday Kiwis because she said that no one saw this election result coming. Really? Seriously? <laughs> like, how like disconnected can you be? But, you know, that pretty much sums up our mainstream media these Do days. Do you think that's just a clickbait? She must. Must. I don't know. I honestly, they they yeah. live in their own little echo yeah, chamber now, don't they? No, I think mm. the worst one was um, oh, who was it by that she said the d democratic system is broken. Also, a stuff reporter, um, Michael Roberts. Ah, oh, Paula Penfold. Paula Penfold. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly on Sunday morning, said the d democratic system is broken. I bet you wouldn't have published that if uh, Labor had won. Uh, just they're just not reading the room. It's incredible. Well, that's, a, that's an emerging trope, isn't it? That democracy isn't working. And How could it be broken? Did, was any evidence cited? <laughs> oh well, well the, the, on the so our news hub, there was a lady, Dita, somebody who's an MBR oh. journalist. And she yeah, Dita Deboni, a former yeah. colleague of mine. I yeah, I just saw yeah. a little bit on Twitter, and she basically said that National bought the election. Money brought the election. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, mm. this is the depths they're going to. You would say that. I know. Yeah. And it's um, incredible, isn't it, that they can say that and they they ignore completely the effect that having a, a, such a severely left-biased media has in terms of buying an election and the effect of, of having borrowed over $100 billion and just sprayed it around the place has on buying an election. Well, have you seen the, the latest uh, Thomas Kramner piece about the funding or the, the advertising expenditure? Yeah, pre-funding of advertising. Pre-funding to, to keep yeah. them literally afloat. I mean, crikey, man. That yeah. is something this incoming government needs to deal with. You know, if the media can't survive, they don't deserve to survive. And new media, like you guys, will... will take their place, but we can't just keep funding this absolute... Well, no wonder they yeah. they said what they said, the media, because their future literally depended upon it. There, there yeah. was a little element of, I for one welcome our new insect overlords um, from the media. There was a real sudden softening of tone towards National. Um, that's an allusion to a, an episode of The Simpsons where 
it's the Springfield's taken over by aliens, or they think it is, and um, yeah, the, the newsreader just suddenly, I for one, welcome our new insect overlords. Well, when you realise that the, the things flipped, right? You, you sort of go with the the new where your funding might come from. The new funding, yeah. In terms of uh, campaigns, I thought probably uh, one of the stronger ones was. Uh, New Zealand first, because it wasn't actually lots of bylines and clever memes, etc. It was just constant photos of large gatherings uh, coming to hear Winston speak, which was, you know, kind of unique. There seemed to be this inertia of people rather than just slogans. Uh, in terms of the worst campaign, I'm with you, Ro. I think the worst campaign was by the media, because I did uh, treat them as a third party promoter, uh, and. You know, they just kept pushing the divide. They pushed the racial divide. They tried to make out that there was, you know, uh, all this racism going on, despite the fact that the Te Pāti Māori did very well, uh, even exceeding their expectations. There's now Parliament is represented by 20% Māori, which is actually disproportionately higher than their population representation. So it sounds like uh, racism isn't as rife as the media is making out. Overrepresented, you could say. Overrepresented. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is that I was really disappointed in the debates because I always get the feeling that it's just it just turns into a slugfest of best quips and one-liners and shouting over each other. And I really wish that we could just put each leader in a booth turn their mic on when we want them to say something and then turn it off. Well, so I think that, we that, that that comes down, Bob, to the moderator. And if yeah. a moderator knows what they're doing and has a mature attitude to it and is seeking to run a debate and not a game show, then it will be a debate. Although it still comes down to the leaders, because I don't know if you remember Fox News held a debate between Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump uh, back in you know um, in that election, and uh, and it just became a shouting fest over each other, and and the moderator couldn't control it. Well, okay. So mm -hmm. I, I think um, you know one of the things was that we did an interview with David Seymour, and you know as I said previously, told you it was viewed by about seventy thousand. I saw it. Yeah. And and it was simply because we let him speak and allowed him to dig his own hole, um, and and I think um, you know ACT will also like the Greens be disappointed. I mean they, at some stages they were polling around 16 percent, and then they were just on a downward trajectory for the last two weeks of the how, campaign. How do we explain that? Because that's a quite a downward trajectory that you just mentioned there. Uh, because he revealed points. his true nature to a whole lot of social conservatives who were thinking of voting for him is my argument. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think he got sent after Winston Peters, um, particularly some of the candidates that were coming through who were calling for a stiffer uh, COVID inquiry with broader terms of reference as well. I mean, that's my suspicion because it was counter to his interests and what was working for him. He was doing really well when he was outlining sensible policy. And there's a lot of act policy that's really sensible, but yeah, I just can't get alongside them on their enthusiasm for mandatory experiments. He, he seemed to get quite defensive in situations and sort of, you know, ran a defensive sort of attitude to questioning. Did you find that, Bob, when you were doing your... <laughs> he really did. Your, your... Uh, with uh, David Seymour. Yeah, yeah. He sort uh, of kind of gets defensive and puts up a, a bit, bit of a wall, you know? Well, he was uh, condescending to us and uh, basically calling a, calling me a liar for stating things like National had helped him in the Epsom seat over previous elections and uh, just asking questions about, for example, what was his views around expansion of euthanasia law. He was just 
hostile, told me off for smiling and lying at the same time. I mean, he didn't win or influence any social conservatives in that interview, and I think uh, he lost a number of percent because of that one interview. But yeah, social, think, oh, sorry, right. It's a case of attack being the best form of defence when you have no defence, right? Yeah. We yeah. see that from politicians when they they've got nothing good to say or yeah, no no good argument, they just go on attack, and that's exactly what David did in that interview. Mm. And uh, his colleague Brooke did uh, very well um, in her seat. Um, she's one to watch, isn't she? Yeah, she's think? a very talented, well-spoken, measured young woman. I think she's yeah. going to be exceptional in the future. I'm sure Bob will join me in thinking it's just a shame she edged out one of the only outspoken social conservatives in the national court. I was just about to mention that, yeah. Maybe not accidentally. Oh, no, it was a deliberate hit job by ACT, and it shows um, ACT's lack of social conservatism, that they would do that in return as a thank you for uh, what National has done for ACT and Epsom. I, I thought it was shocking tactics, um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm gutted it was the low point of... Uh, Saturday night was Simon O'Connor losing his seat because he's been one of the good ones. Yeah, I do like Simon too. And he's been a big free speech advocate as well over many yep. years. So He's got to go. You can't have that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know like on our Save Women Sport fight, that you know, Simon was always someone I went to. If I if I thought that I could get somewhere with National, I would go yep. through Simon to see if I could get some progress because he always responded, always advocated. Well, let's stay on that road. Do you think you will make some progress with this this new government in that area? I think that will depend on how the special votes come in and how much influence Winston has in the new government. I do think that if National want a three-term government, they need to bring Winston in now, irrelevant of what the final result is, so that they can have a really stable one, and then they can all fight the left woke identity politics, all of the you know the envy taxes, soft on crime crap. But um, I'm I'm nervous if it's just National and Act Act. David Seymour did say that he would push for a um, looking into reassessing whether the sex self ID laws are working and what the impact is having. Because you well, know, how do you know if they're working or not? I mean, yeah, well, I don't know. What's they, working they, mean? they said they were going. The Labor government said they'd do a review on it in five years' time, but they're not keeping any data on any of the experiences women are having. You know, we just women were just ignored with that whole sex self ID legislation. It's going to be interesting. I think in education, you'll see the gender ideology wound back in terms of what's being delivered now, and hopefully, Inside Out goes out of our schools because they shouldn't be in there indoctrinating kids and converting them with yeah medical with the patron Saint John Money, who who's the pedophile academic out of Victoria University that no one likes talking about, or the other pedophile academics that are the root of that. You know, Ro, I've been interested in um, running a theory uh, by you about why we're only allowed to talk about um, uh, gender dysphoria as a brave, natural thing. I've got a suspicion that it's so we don't start talking about how xenoestrogens are messing with our endocrine systems and tanking our fertility. Well, well something's tanking it. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I'd add to what you said was um, – Cam Slater makes the point well that um, a great reason for uh, National to bring Winston inside the tent is so they can have a good, robust conversation with Māori and start unwinding some of this division that's been... Uh, on the previous panel, we had, um, you know, Morris and um, and uh, and Cam and, uh, oh, who else was it? Um, Muriel Newman. Muriel Newman. And, and we touched on Māori seats. And we just talked about it before. 
their time has come, right? Well, John Tamahiri is publicly saying if they have a referendum on co-governance, there's going to be violence and um, and it will shut down our major cities. You know, so so I think before we get to that, we're we're going to have to take some heat out of it by actually discuss, you know, poking our heads above the parapets. We've been it's locked in and and having a, an actual discussion about what we've got in common rather than regarding each other as different species. So, so it might be too dangerous to think about winding up those seats. I, I wouldn't do it right away, no. It's interesting. They've just had a similar vote in Australia, and uh, they're still trying to find a fight that actually happened, in, a physical fight that happened in Australia. Uh, they uh, they had a debate. The no vote won. Uh, unity won. Um, racial division. And there was, was no defeated, violence. And there was no <laughs> violence. So it is possible in a grown-up country. We just need to ignore people like John Tamahiri, who's trying to heat up the issue simply to shut down the debate. Okay. I think from, from our side, it's vital that that uh, ordinary New Zealanders, Māori and non-Māori, uh, don't fall prey to saying inflammatory things that, that make things worse. And we start, uh, I guess, talking to each other through this uh, government uh, intermediary that's grown between us like a cancer Um and you know, I mean, you can you can hear what um, what certainly people from the Maori Party are saying. You know, this uh, I was watching that interview with uh, Takuta Ferris, um, who's a new MP for them, saying our people are on their feet. Young people are educated; they're aware of why and how inequities exist. And it is the job of Te Party Maori to continue to educate our people so they can all move together to build into uh, um, our people an ability to stand up and be present when elections come around. So he's talking about Māori like they're a school of kahawai. And, you know, when it sounds good saying they're educated, he doesn't mean they're educated. He means they're indoctrinated in this neo-Marxist uh, set of ideas. Because to lose the seats is to basically lose to party Māori pretty well now, isn't it? And, boy, they're not going to go quietly, will, will they? Well, they'd rather be king turd of shit hill than um, see Māori make their own way if it doesn't involve them being in charge. Yeah, but just imagine trying to unbundle that. Well, yeah, I think um, most Māori can objectively look at how their life is and realise it's gone backwards and, and you know, the, the tens of billions of dollars that have been put towards Māori you know, the trickle down from the iwi leadership to ordinary people makes neoliberal trickle down look like Hooker Falls. Should we talk about the economy? Because that's an issue as well. Um, can you see this new crowd, for want of a, a better term? Um, and Luxon's been talking a bit about that back on track. Can you see them working? with any effect there in that area? Well, I, I definitely think we're going to see cutting cuts to government spending, and we need to, which will definitely help. Look, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. We've been left with an absolute mess by this government. So it's going to take a while for, I think, the government to, the new government to dig us out of that hole. I don't think we're going to see anything immediately. It's going to be two to three years down the track before there's any turnaround but yeah, immediate cuts to government spending. And it's what's going to be interesting is how much influence ACT have 
over that, whether we can get rid of like the useless ministries like the Human Rights Commission and the Ministry of Pacific Affairs, Ministry of Women's Affairs, like they've got to go. They're just bureaucracy, unnecessary. They don't achieve or, or contribute anything to society. I know that if you talk to the financial sector, I think they're predicting that uh, things are going to continue to be difficult for the next 12 months and then there may start to be a bit of a turnaround from there. So, uh, you know, that's some that's some some non-financial advice from me for um, investing. If you're going to invest, yeah. the interest rate's going to be good for another year and then it's going to start dropping. But it, it is going to take some really disciplined spending. I, I There's some results coming out this week that I think uh, people are already, I noticed the media are all, already preparing us that aren't, aren't looking too good. So, uh, that's what you tend to find. The the new government comes in and sees just how how bad it's really been. We know it's been a bloated bloated government, um, and yeah, we're going to need some really strict spending. the The big question I think is whether National will get in there and look at the books and then say, look, we just can't do the tax cuts in order to stimulate the economy. Uh, that that's going to be the real interesting trade off. Wasn't it jarring to hear um, Grant Robertson? saying, oh, you know, even if you cut every PR person, all the advertising, you're still not going to get rid of the deficit like it was someone else's fault. Mm. Mm. Saying, yeah. you know, no one can promise anything. There's, there's just the not dog the ate my homework. like, like mm. it was someone else's fault. So I do so think I do think National will go through with the tax cuts, and what they'll do is, if they don't think if the books are looking a lot worse, it'll just give them the ability to implement more of tax cuts in order to make those tax cuts work. I think that's the one thing that you do you definitely will see from National. If you zoom out and stop thinking about it as two parties and and, and into a uni uni sort of system, you know it it is that. Um, uh, nationalize the losses and and privatize the gains so you know we've had this time okay the debt's blown out we've got nothing to show for it now we're going to get some austerity um mm. if you're cynical which i am mm. well yeah. what do we make of the losing party here labor it seems that the people who will be coming in on their list are the same old same old there's no renewal there there's there's just the same faces now on a list I think what's going to be interesting is what Labor take from this election and whether they think they lost because they didn't go hard enough to the left. And I think I think they're going to wrongly read it and do that and really start pushing in with like the Greens and Te Pāti Māori for wealth taxes, et cetera. I just, I just don't think, oh God, Megan Woods made the most hilarious comment I heard on the news last night. And they said, oh, why do you think we lost? And she said, oh, because we didn't get enough votes. Okay. <laughs> Seriously? Genius. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the Jack Tame asked that really cruel question, you know, well, what's your gut telling you? I mean, you know, that's a bit insensitive. Obviously, bacon and eggs, but um, I feel kind just not really um, just having contempt and not wanting to talk about labour. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I really find just the banality of evil of that sausage roll eating diet coke drinking guy who got told you don't have to vaccinate kids but then thought well the messaging's going to get complex if we don't do that let's just give them kfc and encourage it he's you know. a goner isn't he he's got to be a goner from his leadership surely yeah 
Who else? Who else do they put in there well, though? Let, let's I think, think of a few I think, names. I think he'll stay for a bit. I think you know what Hipkins' biggest regret will be: not calling a snap election immediately after he took the leadership. Yeah, he had that was that was their only chance to win the election. And Probably he, could have won it there. I reckon he could have. I yeah, honestly do. Because, yeah. you know, everyone felt like it was new and fresh. And then, it, you know, it just it took a few months for people to realise that, hello, it's the same party. Yeah, he, he got a bump, <laughs> well, didn't he? He got a yeah, bump. Nothing's changed. Not on, Well, it did change. He said, look, everything I've been doing for the past five years is crap. We're not going to do it. And it was interesting to see Shane Tapoe on TV, who's been writing, Marie and I on Media Matters have been speculating on who's writing a few people's columns because they changed in the last month before the election. And you thought, you're not writing that. But he was very keen on Labour and what they were doing. And then the next day just starts getting back to the natural attitude of Māori to small, effeminate ginger men and just started sledging them. I think the problem for Labour is that they have lost some really key people like uh, Nanaya Mahuta, Michael Wood, who was you know touted as a possible leader, Phil Twyford seats hanging in the balance, although he wasn't a leader. Abraham Omer in Wellington Central. I mean, he he was seen as an up-and-comer in the party. I mean, you know, they lost a whole lot of others. Um, Tamati Coffey, uh, Anna Lork, Liz Craig. Um, they have lost a huge amount. I mean, they're decimated in terms of, of uh, um, number of MPs. So the question is, Oh, and uh, Kieran McAnulty, I mean, he lost his Wairarapa seat. Although then again, Jacinda Ardern could never win a seat until she became the leader. So that's not necessarily a penalty. But, it, you know, it's really hard to see who is the uh, second in command because I know Grant Robertson doesn't want it. In fact, I think you'll hear Grant Robertson will be the first to step off the bus. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure that's why he went to a list MP because he thought if yeah. they lose the election, he can just step out. Yeah. You know, Kieran McNulty said that he definitely doesn't want the leadership. He's getting married. He's got he wants you know, he's got a young family. I think he said I heard him say quite clearly he doesn't want the leadership. So I mean, who else is there? Yeah. They'll be going through the same stage that National went through after 2020, won't they? They'll be this um, <laughs> picking up the pieces, and they're going to have to find a Christopher Luxon type person. But the 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 problem for Labor is that they've got no new blood uh, has come into the party. You know, Chris Lux. It's hard to believe, isn't it, team, that Christopher Luxon only got elected three years ago. The last election, he was a first-term MP. I mean, it's a it's a meteoric rise. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't see that type is of Is it too quick? Is that too fast? Well, the argument is that actually he hasn't been polluted by politics okay. and he still has that business sense. I mean, I, I thought one really interesting comment that he made yesterday was that, uh, you know, the media were pressing him about negotiations and all that type of stuff. And he just said, look, uh, you know, in my corporate roles, I have been through um, lots of negotiations, lots of business deals. They take time. They take relationship. It actually was a really great uh, comeback, and it gave you a little bit of confidence that he knows how to sort of do all that negotiating, and he's not going to throw, uh, you know, his grandmother into the deal just to get it across the line. Well, maybe he would, because on TV he said that there'd be no compensation for any vaccine-injured people. He said Mm -hmm. no. So I don't know about that. I think he's coming into himself a little bit, and I've been relieved to see this because I – I uh, noticed as um, 
we got closer to the election, it looked like he was going to more likely that he was going to be successful. He got a lot more authoritarian sounding, but he's a corporate guy. You know, after, I think the night of the election, I heard him say, you know, I, I was flying uh, between cities at one point. I was just looking out the window and it was all black. There's no darkness. And there was just the occasional little light. Um, which was a farmhouse, and I thought about the people uh, living oh, there. Oh, golly, really, and, Marty, you're, you're getting too well, soft, mate. Well, you know, like you you <laughs> didn't hear a lot about his inner life. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I thought I know how to was, get to you, mate. Well, it, it's interesting to hear, and the more he talks about it, I guess, that maybe – but if you know corporate people, they substitute their own identity for the corporate identity. That's what they do. They're like real good corporate people. They do it so you're not even sure what's going on inside them. I had a Maori mate say to me once, oh, you should let your hair and your beard grow because when you have no hair, it looks like you've got no inner life. Okay, well, remember, I think maybe remember that's that. the problem we've got with them. I think the um, interesting party to watch this um, coming term is going to be the Greens because you look at the new, they've got quite a few new fresh MPs that are coming in and they look less woke <laughs> activist and more climate-focused. So I think there could be some good internal rumblings in there and not many men, right? Poor old James Shaw. I don't know if you saw him standing next to Marta Davidson when she was doing her rant like she'd won the US election. Mm -hmm. but, you know, he just, he was standing there visibly uncomfortable. He looked a bit scared of her and he should be. Yeah. That angry little satellite dish He's face. a cis white male. I was just about right? to say that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so they could be, I think they're going to be interesting to watch how they deal with that because yeah, some, I did some research on the new MPs and they don't look like they're focused on the woke stuff. Well, they climate really, is woke, bro. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not like the gender identity stuff and all of, you know, they, yeah, climate, I don't agree with the whole climate, their whole climate change rhetoric at all. But I think, you know, it's, it's better for New Zealand if they, if they get back to just being climate focused, they'll probably. Just being get, hippies like they yeah. used to be. Yeah, yeah, like on clean diamond. rivers. Clean like rivers, clean lakes. Yeah. Can we talk about the minor parties? Yeah, let's. Well, I was going to. <laughs> now you brought it up. <laughs> well, I know a lot of the listeners are, you know, may were following those with interest. They sure eh? were. Yep. Um, unfortunately, it was a brutal reality. Um, New Zealand Loyal got 1.15%, 26,000 votes. New Zealand got 0.56, Freedoms NZ got 0.31%, Democracy NZ 0.24%, New Conservatives 0.15%. But I did a bit of an analysis just based on what happened last time. Uh, and one thing that really interested me was that New Zealand Loyal's vote was 26,000. Uh, and it's basically equivalent to what Advance New Zealand got in the last election. Now, I thought, who's... Advanced New Zealand. I looked it up and, of course, I was reminded that it was Billy TK's party and Jamie Lee Ross. Right. So it's almost as though the constituency of Billy they TK jumped. and Jamie Lee Ross has jumped to Liz Gunn. Um, New Zealand, which was previously one, they increased uh, from 8,000 to 12,000. So that was an improvement. Freedoms NZ, uh, which is Brian and um, Sue. Sue Gray, yep. Yep, they got 7,000 votes, which is actually slightly less than what Vision NZ and Outdoors Party got combined in 2020. So, what, what went wrong there, I wonder? Well, I just think they're preaching to just the same group, and they're only capturing the same group. There just doesn't seem to be organic growth. Um, and the new conservative vote 
absolutely crashed. It was 42,500 in the last election, and it was only 3,500. And most of that vote, I think, would have gone to New Zealand First or National. Um, so, yeah, it was. it's a um, bit of a day of reckoning. It's, it's a brutal, you know, as I say, it's a brutal sport. It doesn't matter. You know, there was a lot of chatter on um, social media. I think New Zealand Oil was saying they were going to get a million votes. But doesn't translate, right? It doesn't translate. I mean, you've you've got to have confidence and self-belief to even get into it in the first place, but you've also got to have a um, definite big spoonful of realism as well because it is a brutal sport. It, it shows just – I mean, when you think about just how strong the campaign of New Zealand First has been and the amount of media coverage they have got, all negative, by the way, but uh, media coverage – uh, you know, it's amazing that still they could only just get to above 6%. That's how hard that 5% threshold is. Just one more point before you guys comment is um, I there was uh, TV1 did a two-minute um, review of all their election coverage, and the spin-off did a two-minute review as well. So they copied each other, different okay. videos, yeah. uh, and in both of them, they missed out one leader. They covered every leader but they missed out one leader. Guess which one? Winston. Yeah. Yeah. That's Seriously? And, and yet they gave him more media coverage. Negative I know. They didn't, want to talk about, they didn't want to talk about him in case he got back in. It's <laughs> farcical, isn't it? It's just farcical. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I mean, I just fascinated. Not because I'm saying that Winston should get the media coverage, but I'm just amazed by how they, they treat him. They've got it's, – it's Winston derangement syndrome. Well, well, it's called the memory hole, isn't it? You just put it down the memory hole. It's gone. Okay. Oh, well, he's he's not going to be forgotten, though, is he? Wouldn't it be great if he got Minister of Broadcasting? <laughs> I wondered <laughs> whether I wondered whether his uh, you know kind of threat to Jack Tame um, was a factor in that that last week's pile on in the media. I mean, we we went to when Maria and I were going over the papers for the week. Last in last week's show, it was basically the same article written about thirty times hmm. by everyone. It was just in lockstep. Um, he said it was a promise, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what he told Jack Tame. It's a promise. Um, speaking of the small parties, if there was any election that you would have thought they would have done better, would have been this one. I, I would have thought anyway. Yeah, but it's always a challenge. That 5% threshold makes it just really impossible for them to get up and running, doesn't it? Yeah, you, know, you, t- you have No, but to- even, even if you don't get to the 5%, just the numbers that, Bob, you just read out, you know, some of them are very low. Yeah, but I, I think that's because these are right-leaning parties, so their opportunity is going to come when people are a bit dissatisfied with National, but they don't want to go to Labor. Uh, I go to that's you. that's yeah. their big opportunity. I mean, there was that point probably about a month out from the election where the, the minor parties were at the maximum power, really. They And they could have said, well, look, here are some bottom lines. Uh, if we fold our team, I mean, new conservatives probably should have done that. I think Helen Houghton wanted to and saw the logic in doing so, but I think was blocked because there are always stalwarts within a party that's been around a while that have put in all that work and there's no way they want to um, want to just fold the tent. Hmm. What about the inquiry that, um, I don't want to be Winston fixated, but it's one of the things that our audience is particularly interested in, this inquiry into COVID. Do you think, how's he going to handle that, do you think? I mean, if well, he's a got really, a... 
Yeah. To see Shane Jones uh, bring that up as something that they were interested in above all else, you know, that, that was what he he said. And I mean, I, I was checking with um, our world and data and New Zealand's excess deaths are up 16% as at August, which is the most up-to-date data. Um, I spoke to a um, mate of mine who's a surgeon who got mandated out and said, you know, what what do you think need to be in the terms of reference? Because, um, and he he said we need to have death rates and hospitalisation rates by vaccine status examined, uh, disease rates by vaccine status, miscarriage and spontaneous abortion rates by vaccine status. Um, and he said they have everyone's vaccine status in a central register. You know, they so looked not, up not hard wrote, to get that data, right? That, that data is available. No, it's not. It's yeah. all there. All diagnoses, you know, are caught in public hospital system. They're recorded by against NHI numbers. So they have the data. They're just sitting on it. And, um, you know, that that just, you know, that's a pinch point. And, and we should just be hammering and say, why won't you, why won't you do, why won't you release that? I, I hope that, that's one of the one thing that that New Zealand First do get out of whatever agreement they make with the new government. I think this is a really good one. It would be like Winston's new wine box inquiry, right? It's something yeah. that would keep Labour negatively in the news for the next two or three years because it'll take that long to hammer out and it'll keep Winston in the news. But also, like, we need it as a country because if we don't learn the lessons from the mistakes we made, we'll make them again. Mm. Was that blurring between true and false? And I'm very fond of giving, <laughs> busting out H Hannah Arendt quotes, who, who of course wrote about how people could be pivoted from being ordinary people to Nazis shooting children in the back of the head. And um, you know, one of her quotes that that always strikes me in contrast with what's gone on in New Zealand is the ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi or the dedicated communist, but people for whom the distinction between fact and fi fiction, true and false, no longer exist. And I thought about that when um, when Grant Robertson saying, well, we saved 20,000 lives. And I was like, well, where's the 16% increase in excess deaths coming from? Pork chop. Mm -hmm. And why, why is St. John's reporting 63,000 extra yeah, call outs you, you were saying that suicides were down. Thousand, man. Yeah, while St John's was saying that call outs to suicide attempts were up thirty percent, and it's this casual allowing lies to just <laughs> manifest. Yeah, it makes yeah. you wonder what National Enact would have to lose to include that as part of an agreement if they come to that kind of coalition agreement. You know, if Winston was to make it a bottom line, I, I, I can't quite. I mean, it might show. Act and national as being immature when it came to the parliamentary protest and not being willing to engage. But apart from that, I mean, um, you know, some of the noises coming out of if some of the national MPs, so senior Simon O'Connor actually, uh, were good. Um, and also, um, you know, in fairness, David Seymour did receive our petition, the Don't Divide Us petition, which was talking about um, rapid antigen testing as an alternative. So, uh, yeah, I, I still can't figure out why they wouldn't be open to an inquiry. It was such a major blight on the country. And uh, if anything, it, it shows that the previous government was out of touch and overreached. It, I don't think it shows that they have. So... Yeah, I don't, I don't see why it's not a win-win for them. There are plenty of quotes that they uh, busted out 
around that time about yeah, true true you know, mind you you can say that more. that was the information we had at the time they yeah. weren't actually calling the shots and we're only going on what information we had information changes so positions change you can you, you can kind of occupy that territory politicians are always wary of self-examination yeah. there's never <laughs> going to be why. a better time to do it for them <laughs> yeah. accountability is a killer yeah all right well we're coming up against time um any any final thoughts on what we experienced over over the weekend i'm i'm you know my wife said she was surprised at how happy she was uh, <laughs> okay. at the election result and i think a lot of people are going to be feeling a weight lifted off them and and hopefully you know we can just start uh, as i said doing those things to untangle those tentacles of government that that's that have been thrust between us and our fellow citizens, maybe start working on some approaches to build community resilience and do things for ourselves, stop thinking about government for a change. You know, when you move into a new house, it's always kind of fresh. You know, everything seems um, unique and new. Uh, the thing that I'm really going to be interested to watch is just how much of a honeymoon the media gives uh, national. You know, at the moment, they're all buddy-buddy. Congratulations, Christopher. Um, you know, and... Uh, rolling on from the results of the election. They'll be sitting around for two weeks to see the the uh, final outcome. Uh, but then I suspect that the honeymoon is going to be over and it's going to be all go uh, in terms of the media. Yeah, but they got to think of the funding, Bob. they got to think of the funding. Well, that's, I mean, that is a real concern. Uh, and if you look at, um, I noticed that... Um, uh, media Works is just, um, you know, there's been some disastrous results out of there. Um, I mean, the the mainstream media is in a real financial pickle because of the changing landscape, the declining trust, and uh, you know, gee, it's not a it's not a happy industry to be in at the moment. It is here. I, I love working fast. Oh yeah, yeah. You're right. much. I <laughs> supplement happy. my media hobby with some carpet cleaning, and I make olive oil, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I get to tell the truth. You I'm know, talking about the legacy media. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I saw the national radio's funding uh, is being increased by 27 million or something. Imagine what RCR could do with just five percent of that funding increase. We're already better in content than they are. Mm. Yeah. That might not last too long. That extra funding, if um, David Seymour is wanting to peg back the public service. Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, I agree with Marty. I feel like a weight's been lifted, and I'm feeling quite positive about the future. What's going to be interesting, I think, over the next few weeks is to see which way the special votes go. But traditionally, they've always gone the left's way, but I don't know if that'll be the case this time. I think it'll they'll just continue the results that we've seen at the election. So. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be positive, but it's going to be hard work for this for this government. It's I would not... just like to pay tribute to Chris Hipkins in a sort of a backward fashion is that I think he received what we call in sport a hospital pass. He was given the leadership of a party, which um, the previous leader who had already seen was on the decline. I don't know if he'd called a snap election whether he would have won because the only thing Jacinda was... Um, completely uh, smart at was actually predicting that um, they were going to get thrashed in this election and that's why she got out. I mean, she read the tea leaves um, and Chris Hopkins inherited a party. Well, he was part of it, Bob. He was right there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he, and so he would have had player. to stand up on the reputation of the previous leader. Um, he had a cabinet which self-imploded. 
His little know? sausage roll grease fingers were all over that stuff. And What's wrong with the, sausage rolls? I love them. <laughs> it's a long way to the top if you yeah. what is it to the dairy if you want a sausage roll. I it's a long way to the chopper if you want a sausage roll. <laughs> That's right. Can't beat a sausage roll. And who's Tony? Who's Tony? Oh, I thought the interesting, the hilarious part was everyone was trying to figure out if it was female or male. <laughs> and we wonder if Chris even knows. <laughs> was it a Tony with an I or a Y? Uh, no, it's a woman. Ex press secretary, as I understand it. Oh, it's so. Insula. Cliche. <laughs> anyway. All right, guys. Well, thanks I for his, coming. Thanks I, I, for I just want to say I liked his um, tribute to family. Always good to recognise family because being a politician is is tough for families. I know that right. for a fact. Yeah. It's at the bottom of the list. Mm. Don't forget to recognise family. Yeah. Well okay. Thanks, Paul. Right. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Bob McCroskey. Thank you, uh, Roe Edge. And thank you, Marty Gibson, for joining us this morning. Fantastic. Thanks, yeah, Paul. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate, RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. That's our show for this Monday morning. Thank you for being with us at RCR. I'd like to thank Marie Busky, producer Dave, our team behind the scenes, the participants in our political panels this morning, and most of all, you, for your support and your listening ears, assuming you have a pair Coming up next, it's Greenwashed with Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson. Bryce McKenzie, Groundswell New Zealand co-founder, is on the program this morning to discuss the question, will the new government fit the bill? Tony Seabrook checks in about politics affecting Western Australia. And there will be four former presidents of Federated Farmers on the program this morning. Katie Milne, Owen Jennings, Charlie Pedersen and RCR's Don Nicholson explaining their prognosis of the election and a prescription for a better agriculture sector. That's Greenwashed with Jazpreet and Don in just a moment and we'll be back from 7 tomorrow morning. Have a great day. See you then.